Hello everybody and welcome back to some inter-season goodness from the sequelizers. I am your host, as always, Jack Chambers, and joining me, also as always, it's Matt Stockton. Sup? Not much. H- how are you? Nope, I was talking to them, not you. Oh. We've been talking for an hour, I know how you are. I, I, I've been put in my place. Thanks, Matt. You don't have a place, you're alright, you're good. My place is the host of sequelizers. But um, nobody ever asked me how I am. Do you I'm think about sure, that? I'm sure we've asked in the past. I'm sure I'm being facetious. I'm, I'm sure you have. I'm sure we've cared about you at least once. <laughs> ah, give or take. <laughs> and also joining Matthew and I, it's Tim Matum. What's in the box? It's <laughs> <laughs> a weird thing because technically that is a reference. And we, we, um, we have that age and generation now where we're making references to things that are well over 20 years old at this point, probably on 25 years old. And you think like if there's like some 17, 18 year olds listening to the show and going, the fuck is he talking about? Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, fair, fair. But we're not going to say yeah. I want, Yeah. I wonder like, what's the cutoff point for people understanding seven references? You know, I, I what's remember, the age? I remember seeing an interview with Brad Pitt um, and it, apparently that's the thing that people say most to him when they see him on the street. <laughs> so it, I think it's got a fair amount of like penetration yeah, into the public psyche. Sure. It, it must be his like most famous one of our phrase catchphrase, right? Like net, I guess people would quote some fight club bullshit at him or something like, mm, but yeah. it's weird yeah. for, for the amount, for the, for the size of star that he is, he doesn't have weirdly iconic writers, like Tyler Durden is kind of the closest he has to to something that you'd actually go like, oh, that's like an iconic character. Like, no one's like, oh, yeah, I love all those Benjamin Button catchphrases. <laughs> I know everyone tried to make that a thing in the early 2010s with, I want my scalps! And it's like, oh, yes. Because of uh, the whole Inglorious Bastards Nazi scalps. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. Does no, the, really the, most, the most meme, the most memeable character is Hans Lander in that film for sure. Yes, but the most he's got his little excited little wiggle that he does Wait, and all that kind of stuff. No, yeah, that's, that's a bingo. It's exactly. now Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. Obviously, he's the most memeable actor. I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Memeable. But we're not actually talking about memeable actors, unfortunately. This episode, as much as I'd like to, we are in fact returning to a previously discussed topic. We bring it back every now and then for an season episode. We're going to answer some questions in what we like to call listener feedback. But before we get to answering your questions, dear listeners, let's give a shout out to some patrons on patreon.com slash sequelizers. You can go to patreon.com slash sequelizers and support us at a variety of different levels. You get ad-free episodes, you get early access, you get bonus and exclusive content, you get exclusive merch, you get posters, and and... If you get up to the higher tiers, you can become an executive producer and get a shout out on the show and even possibly pick an episode for us to discuss and fix in future seasons as well. Our Patreon executive producers this week are Mike Salvia. I'm Ron Burgundy. Jonathan Firth Clark. Ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? Andrew Steen. What does Marcellus Wallace look like? What? The man known as Xenos. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Josh van der Sluis. What is your major malfunction, numbnuts? 
Didn't mommy and daddy show you enough attention when you were a child? And Josh Miles. You talking to me? You talking to me? Thank you very much, gentlemen, for your support. We Thanks, very guys. much appreciate it. Thank you, everyone who supports us on Patreon. Thank you, executive producers. We will be uh, discussing questions from quite a few of those people later on in the show. <laughs> Funnily enough, they will uh, they have submitted some questions via social media, via Discord, and via Gmail as well. So now, should we get stuck into the questions, gentlemen? Yes. Bring it on. And let's kick things off. From Jonathan Firth-Clark himself, funnily enough, one of the executive producers, we'll start with, who would be your dream guest to bring onto the sequelizers, apart from the obvious answer, which is the awesomely talented Mr. John Scarrett, who is responsible for all of our artwork, avatars, logo design, all that kind of stuff. Because we, we have talked about bringing John on before, and we have a plan to bring John on. <laughs> yeah. When we're allowed back in the same room, and we'll have the nice mics, and we'll all set up, and all that kind of stuff. We will get John on for an episode, we promise. But in the meantime, anyone in the world, Matt, who would you pick? Well, I, I always find these questions a little bit difficult. Uh, not because um, is I this can't the think of is this the dinner party thing where you're worried about being the most boring person in the there room? There it is. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. Well done. That's exactly it. Um, yeah. Having done Q and A things at events at cinemas with actual directors, you feel like you can have a good conversation. You're enjoying yourself, and you th- and then you walk in on yourself and think. What are you doing, Matt? Why are you interviewing this really interesting? I mean, I've I've interviewed um uh, Ben Wheatley. I was like, what are you what are you doing, Matt? That's a, that's a, re- a director you respect and admire, and uh, you're, you're a piece of shit. That's just insecurity. <laughs> um, so yes, I I would always be very concerned. Like, come on, the sequelizers, come into my house and we'll sit on my couches and record. And so yeah, I'm always conscious of these things. But I do have an answer, and it's uh, I think it's a very unorthodox answer. I think people will be, be very surprised because people go, oh, Matt's gonna go with fucking. Scorsese or some director or some shit like that. <laughs> or maybe you get, you know, Jamie Kennedy on him just to piss on him or something. Um, the answer is Billy Jackson. Who the or fuck is Billy Jackson? For a fact. <laughs> <laughs> Billy Jackson actually is one of those things where you think to yourself, yeah, that could, that could actually work possibly in the future. So there is a YouTube channel, uh, which is going to be a point of contention now because they're changing their fucking name, which was known as Cinefix, is now oh, known yeah. as Cinefix. IGN movies and TV or something <laughs> fucking terrible. Um, but it was we get one point to say we're now brand changing. We're going to call ourselves IGN movies and TV because it's part of the IGN inverted commas family. And it's like cool, cool. Cinefix is a good brand though, so don't lose that. Um, like two plus million subscribers on YouTube or whatever it is. Anyway, Billy Jackson is the guy who effectively writes most of their content. Clint, I think Clint Gage is the guy who reads most of it out. But all their various lists, Billy's the guy who who um, who writes the content, who does all the research. He loves uh, Tarkovsky. He loves like No Country for Old Men and the uh, the Third Man and stuff. And his taste very much aligns with a lot of mine. I find the points that they make very interesting. And it's one of those things you think, oh, yeah, I think we'd have a really interesting conversation with him. That's my you know, in, in a sense of like, is it practical and feasible? I mean, in the age of us all doing internet podcasts, yeah, maybe. Um, I, if someone out there wants to, on our behalf as an advocate, say, hey, Cinefix people, um, there's a podcast called Sequelizers, and they mentioned you recently. You should, maybe, should, maybe you should check them out. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd like to have a chat with him, I think, and, and be a cool, like, just film nerd conversation. Nice. Yeah, Thanks. I think we'd, we'd like to do that, kind of uh, collaborate a bit more, but it's really not how the 
format of the show works if that makes <laughs> sense it's kind of difficult to like hey uh yeah if you want to come on you have to write basically an entire script so yeah. uh and yeah, have us... that all prepared and ready so it takes us out of the equation we don't get to write one we're like mm. exactly yeah and um, then we're all sat there being like mm, ju- judging sitting on our high chairs judging the poor guest and we're just like <laughs> well no billy jack and that's a piece of shit like, yeah it, it, it would, it would feel a bit work, weird but uh in this instance we're just gonna tell you how it's fucking trash have you ever done this before? Um, no, but in, inter-season-wise, I think that's the, the perfect place for guests, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Tim, how about you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think any <coughs> filmmaker uh, would, would be great to have on. It, it's tricky because, like, the people you would want to have on, you're possibly either, you know, if it's, if it's for a film that we're actually fixing, you know, they're either perhaps directed the original and you're like, hey, let's talk about how someone like really oh, fucked up your vision or they directed the <laughs> sequel. And it's like, yeah. hey, let's talk about how you did a shit job. Um, but uh, <laughs> and no, I think I think there's a there's a whole realm of interesting like podcasters and YouTubers out there who do similar stuff to what we do that, you know, is in the practical realm of things is perhaps a, a little more reasonable that we might be able to get on. But the the one I actually went for was because, you know, almost all of our conversations end up coming back to the MCU. I think it'd be really interesting to get Kevin Feige on as a guest. That's exciting, Tim. Because... He'd give us nothing. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, he's... It's the thing of, like, you know, you worry, uh, like Matt said, about uh, being being the, uh, the least interesting person in the room. It's like... Well, he's got a huge amount of power, but he also like he doesn't do a lot of interviews. Um, yes, yes. So I don't know what his charisma uh, wattage is like. Uh, maybe he's a really <laughs> dull guy when he gets talking. But I don't think I think he would be fascinating. And obviously, Marvel is so tight-lipped about everything. But I think even exploring how he came, like the decisions that were made in the first ten years of the the MCU, that you know, without yeah, even yeah. looking ahead just talking about like how you build up that coherent universe, how you make the decisions about what filmmakers are going to tackle what, how casting plays into it. I think there's, I'm, I'm really looking forward to, I presume when I'm like 65 and like a, a really in-depth book about, you know, the beginning of the Marvel Cinematic Universe comes out where, you know, NDAs have expired or whatever. And people are more willing to talk about like, Oh yeah, you know, this is what actually happened with Edgar Wright, Ant-Man, and et cetera, et cetera. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, All the dirt. I think, not that I want, you know, gossip and dirt and stuff like that, but but just a really, like, honest accounting of, like, you know, like, Iron Man was a big risk for them, you know. What, what was it like, you know, being on that set? You know, and it was something that was, you know, they were writing the film as they were going along to, to a large degree and stuff like that. I, th- I think there's so much interesting stuff and especially from what we do in terms of you know we try to continue these movie universes and see how they would play out and that's obviously an area that he is completely invested in i think it's the nature of from an external point of view all we can do is speculate it's nice to have some actual closure and go uh the satisfaction of some answers yeah um even if the answer is simple as like oh i've been trying to get this done since the 90s no one would believe me we took a risk it worked out there were some bumps along the way things we tried to do that didn't work out it's gonna be very generic but it'll be still interesting for us because it'll be an answer Mm. 
Mine's far more along the lines of Matt. Um, it's a YouTuber we've talked about on the show before, and I believe has tenuous links to the show, you know, six degrees of separation kind of stuff. I think it's through Stuart. Of course, it's through Stuart. Um, a guy called Oliver Harper, who is, does a lot of kind of retrospective reviews. I particularly mentioned his retrospective reviews when we did Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, because he did the trilogy and did a video for each one. And also, that was a few years ago, and then went back and did the original film again, because it's like, a pinnacle of his childhood kind of film in a similar way that it was for me. So I think he would fit in really well with us and our kind of dynamic and our kind of chemistry and be able to chat with us about the kind of films we like and what we don't like and would would work really well as kind of a a fourth member in the booth kind of thing. Mm. Yeah, Ollie's a nice guy. Um, I've met him a few times. Uh, I would not see that as a, a strange thing at all. Of, yeah. of the three of us, it's very, very feasible, I imagine. Uh, and yeah, I think you're right. It's, it, it's like anything when you project this stuff and I, and, and I'm being quite arrogant here. Cause I know some of the listeners probably do the same thing. I think these guys sound like me. They, I mean, different accents and whatever, but more importantly, <laughs> it's the idea of like, no, they, they, they talk about stuff with the same passion that I have for stuff. I bet we could hang out and have a good time. Um, and then you find out that outside of the, the recording session, we all speak very differently. Like, you know, theatrical actors. And Jack's like, such no, a darling. prima donna. And you know, really fuck. I really am. Yeah. Um, no, so I think that's, um, yeah, not, uh, not unreasonable. And in the case, because he's down the road, it's, I'm obviously we're talking about, you know, a post-COVID universe, whatever the fuck that looks like. Yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, we have a question from the Discord from our friend in Switzerland, Remy. What is a truly underrated movie? Most people just answer that, that question with a movie that's actually kind of a cult classic or kind of popular anyway. But coming up with something no one really knows and most people don't feel like is an actual popular choice. Gentlemen, what do you reckon? Do you want to go first, Jack? How are you? I have a weird, and I don't, this is it's almost more like a guilty pleasure because I can't quite understand why I like it. And I think I've mentioned it on the show before. It's the Martin Lawrence film Blue Streak. Oh yeah, and, you and I <laughs> and I don't know why I love it, but I, there was a period of my life. This is going down like the dark years, is what we call it, where <laughs> where I felt like I watched that film like on repeat a few times, and I have no idea why. Were you a teenager at this point? I don't, I don't even remember. I must have oh. been at university or something like that. It might have been like yeah. I was at university and everyone had gone home for the summer and, and I was left and that was the only DVD I had, so I just watched it. All <laughs> I don't know. Something like that. No, I, I, I get felt... it. The comfort of something familiar. And when you're that age, you do tend to retread the same thing over and over. That, that, I think we've all done that. That makes sense. Yeah. And I, I have really, really fond memories of that film from like a decade ago. And I can't really explain why. <laughs> <laughs> would you recommend it to people uh i haven't seen it in a while but, <laughs> but sure yeah <laughs> why not fair enough, fair enough. matt how about you so technically i have three um I'm, fuck it i fucking knew it i knew that i just have a list but i won't i won't because usually my go-to answer is always the same and i think i've touched on it too much basically um, my answer is almost always Ravenous from 1999. It's a sort of uh, cannibal, so, sort of, it is a horror film, kind of, but it's, it's, it's a period piece. Um, 
set just after the uh, uh, the American Mexican War and sort of the Donner Party, you know, Colorado Mountains kind of cannibal thing with Guy Pearce and, and Robert Carlyle and lots of people. Uh, I really like it a lot, but because I talk about it so much, I, I'll give basically uh, room something else. Now, the reason that all three of these things share something is that they were all relatively successful at the box office, arguably. <coughs> But they've all got like fifty percent on Rotten Tomatoes thereabouts. <laughs> they're not considered good films, even though I right, think they are. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, Ravenous is one. Uh, another honourable mention is Stargate from nineteen ninety four. Fucking oh, Stargate! What a, what a film! That's mm. a great movie. But again, it's like what like fifty percent, forty five percent. It's like fuck off. It's great, great movie. I think that's massively underrated. Um, but the one I'm going to talk about is a nineteen seventy four film directed by Sidney Pollock, starring Robert Mitchum, called The Yakuza. And it is about a guy called Harry, played by Robert Mitchum, who travels back to Japan uh, to basically rescue his friend's kidnapped daughter. Uh, and he gets involved with the Yakuza. And it's the whole, like, uh, the, the, the trailers are all like, the Yakuza, <laughs> Japan's mafia. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I don't know, you know, a secret land with a secret underworld of crime. And it's like, okay, <laughs> 70s Back when trailers had that classic voiceover. Yeah. Yeah, full scenes, but it's good. It talks about all kinds of various bits and pieces. About it was a lot of people's introduction in the in the in, in America to the life of the crime in in in, <laughs> in Japan at the time. I think it's a fairly solid film. I think it's quite interesting about a guy who served over there during the war and been involved in this affair. There's a really really interesting story there about Robert Mitchum hooking up with this character and then her brother comes back and doesn't approve and blah 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 it was all kind of stuff and bits and pieces sounds um, like the wolverine to me matthew that's what that sounds like kind of it's <laughs> <laughs> kind of um but um there's is, a sort of twist is there a, the is there a fight with ninjas on top of a bullet train no there ah. is a fight with with a bunch of japanese people <laughs> and lots of i mean sure yeah um oh uh but now the, we're talking it's it's interesting because there's a thing literally the year before uh, there was a film called Battles Without Honor and Humanity, or the Yakuza Papers, as they're known. There's a, a Japanese set of movies, and they're fucking amazing, absolutely amazing. They're like ninety percent on Rotten Tomatoes. They're really good uh, cult hits, and there's like five of them, and they were done like in a couple of years of each other. Like within three years, there was five of these movies uh, by uh, Kinji Fukuhasa. The point is that they're they're exceptionally good and show what life of you know the Yakuza, sort of the birth from the forties and fifties onwards in terms of post-war world, etc. Um, but this American one is still pretty good. It's a pretty good introduction to a lot of things. Um, I think it's very well shot. I think it looks really nice. Very well acted. It's a good film. Thumbs up. <laughs> what about you, Tim? What do you consider an underrated movie? So mine is mine is much more recent, and it's... I think pretty much everyone will remember it, but I think it is a film that has been kind of forgotten. It's one of those ones where I'll say it and people will go, "Oh yeah, I remember that," mm. um, but it's but it's not it's not talked about uh, partially because the director has moved on to bigger and more controversial things uh, in some ways. Interesting. Uh, so uh, my pick is Super Eight, the JJ ah, Abrams film, yeah, which I think is a really solid. Like obviously it's aping Spielberg, but okay. I think it's a really solid homage. J.J. Uh, it, it, Abrams has a lot of bad instincts as a storyteller, <laughs> uh, and it's and it, I I think this is an example of him not indulging them too much. 
like the fact that it's a one and done story means that there's less of his mystery box bullshit That's there true. That's there true. was in the promotion going up to the film but that doesn't matter anymore because you know it's it's 10 years old now it's you know it's it's a story that's told within the scope of of one film uh with no kind of real teasers for for future stuff or anything like that i think it's it's it, it, to me it's really interesting that like stranger things came along like 5 years later and yep. blew up and this feels so close to that in a lot of ways i think it's got some really good performances in it um kyle chandler who's always great um as the dad yeah i think i think it's one that's just people have kind of passed by and sort of forgotten about and i think it's it's worth going back to because i think it in terms of like jj abrams filmographies like it's probably one of his stronger entries yeah i'd agree with that it's it's a, this is what I think what was mentioned in, in in Remy's question. It's very difficult because when you start talking about an underrated movie, it's like, well, rated by whom? And I, I think we've gone for different things as especially so. So if you go for box office, it's something that was great, but nobody watched it yeah. in the cinema. It can maybe come, but that's what becomes a cult hit sometimes. Then you go, well, the critics hated it, but it's actually good. Like is it's like you know technically like the Mummy or Blade that kind of thing <laughs> or do you do a thing whereby people just have just let it fade out of existence even though it was only like literally at this point 10 years ago um so i think uh yeah this is like a 70 or 80 percent on metacritic and rotten tomatoes and things uh, mm. almost universally positive reviews um it made a ton of money and it was a precursor as you say to to stranger things but from the from your angle especially tim i think you're right it's it's just one that people just don't think about reference or talk about mm. when um, you think of abrams as yeah. a filmmaker you think oh the big star trek movies the big star wars movies all that kind of stuff and yeah people often mention like oh he did tv work people completely forget that super 8 exists so i think that, that totally makes Mission sense Impossible three despite the fact that was four or five years prior to yeah. that yeah and is not as good yeah weird interesting though interesting spread of picks next question also from the discord comes from rhino man 78 and that's rhino from ratchet and clank by the way r-y-n-o <laughs> just for the record a very interesting question, kind of following up to a previous live stream we did, where we discussed Ridley Scott movies. What Tony Scott movie would you have loved Ridley to direct, and vice versa? So if the, if the Scott brothers must switch just one thing in their yeah their filmographies, what would it be? Tim, I'll come to you first. Um, so mine, I've gone for two films that are about the same time. Um, I didn't double check, but they might even be at the same year. I can't, I can't <laughs> remember. So I would like to see Ridley Scott's version of Enemy of the State. Okay. Uh, nice. And Tony Scott's version of Gladiator. Ooh. <laughs> they're a couple of years apart. Yeah. So Enemy of the State is 98 and yeah. Gladiator is 2000. Yeah. So they're very, very close. So that is that could quite literally be like a project swap. Like. Yeah. Somebody wrote the wrong name on a on a clipboard once. And I was like, "Oh shit, we got Tony now." Uh, Joaquin Phoenix is the Tony Scott. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God, it's the Scott brothers. They're tagging in. Hot <laughs> <laughs> tag to Ridley. Oh my God. Yeah, exactly. Do you have a reason why, Tim? Like any any particular reason? I mean, Tony Scott weirdly is is someone who I haven't seen a lot of his films. Um, mm. uh, but I, I really like Enemy of the State. But I think it would benefit. I don't know if it would benefit from Ridley Scott, but I think I think Ridley Scott could make that toe. I I feel like it it, in his repertoire, 
like he could make a really interesting film. Sure. Tony Scott's Gladiator would just be bark wild. See, that's exactly what I was thinking you were going to say, because I was like, I can see Ridley Scott doing Enemy of the State and kind of maybe bumping up and improving a bit, even yeah. though it's a pretty solid film. But Tony Scott's Gladiator is going to be such a weird fucking thing. Yeah. I was like, what, Tim, and I, I, is this your like sick curiosity? Like, I want to see what he would do. Yeah, I mean, Gladiator, I think we've discussed this previously, like Gladiator is not a film that I super rate. I, I mean, we talked about this when we did with the Ridley Scott thing. Like, it, it's not one that I'm like crazy about. So I'm kind. I kind of would just be curious to see what Tony Scott would do with it. There'd be a lot yeah, less like yeah. hands passing over wheat fields. Uh, <laughs> so much more volleyball. <laughs> Greased up and half naked men. I think. I think what I really would like to see would be Tony Scott's Gladiator sequel, uh, where it's the. Was oh. it Nick Cave who wrote it, and it involves time travel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That, that's, that that would be truly bonkers. That's a mix of déjà vu and. Uh sort of man on fire sort of aesthetic that could actually be quite interesting well to talk of uh some some gay volleyball action i'm I'm doing it oh shit man i'm really? doing it I'm, I'm going for the uh how do i describe this like military air vehicle theme i'm swapping here <laughs> you can see where i'm going with it okay so i'm getting ridley scott to direct 1986's top gun and i'm getting tony scott to direct 2001's black hawk down because that makes no sense and my brain can't handle it and i was like okay i feel like i feel like on on on, on like the most basic level you'd be like yeah one's about planes one's about helicopters that film's not about helicopters <laughs> i'll be fine I, I feel like black hawk down is already it's it's kind of ridley at his most tony i agree i agree exactly that's what i was thinking from that yeah. transition and and then i thought we need more Christ imagery in Top Gun. <laughs> so yeah, you get more politics, always. the geopolitical senses of why we're attacking people as opposed to how cool it is to fly a fucking plane. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. exactly. Well, he would do it like Kingdom of Heaven. He'd tell it from both sides. Oh, which people would not want at, in, the, in the late 80s. No, no, definitely not. <laughs> barely wanted it in the early 2000s. Interesting. Very interesting. Matt, how about you? Okay, so I went for a cold calculation here. Um, I went for two middling films. Oh, interesting. Each men's oeuvre and thought we could switch this. One is from 2001, one's from 1997. And I think they both missed the mark just a bit. I would like to see Ridley Scott direct the 2001 film Spy Game with mm. Brad Pitt and Robert Redford. Because it's perfectly, it's like, a, you know, a CIA, CIA meddling in China is basically what it actually is. <laughs> um, but it's it's that it's the kind of enemy of the state sort of vibe of you know mm. general government interference and spies being on their own roguish and things like that and it's all very interesting and and also it's Pitt and Redford who have all been compared very very frequently and the film just was a very very anticlimactic damp squib and it's like oh that could have been so much more that was actually something to be and also this was nineteenth of November two thousand and one. So I think people were also in a very strange mindset post nine eleven. Mm. You can't plan these things obviously, but you know seeing Americans run around CIA things, it, it just didn't s strike at the right time. Basically. I think Ridley Scott would have done something vastly superior with it. The other one, the Ridley Scott film I'd like to see directed by Tony Scott, is the 1997 film G.I. Jane. Ooh, Ooh. That's interesting. Uh, yeah, I think the film is... Well, we mentioned on, the, on our, um, our live stream, it's literally 50-50. It's middle of the road. It's perfectly fine. It goes yep. for some stuff and falters a lot. It tries to be progressive and isn't, but it was the 90s. An attempt is better than nothing. And 
yeah, I think I think Tony Scott could bring much more flair to it visually and make it more engaging and maybe a bit more person centric than I've got to change fucking cinema with how I'm presenting this. Oh my god, we <laughs> shaved Demi Moore's head after you know Sigourney Weaver shaves hers in Alien Three. And I say that, you know, it sounds quite flippant. It's like, no, no, that at the time that was the talking point. Mm. You know, she's got a short hair. Oh, sorry, has long hair, and then she's got short hair and won the MTV movie award for <laughs> best fight or something like that it's like oh yeah. that, that's that's what ridley scott must be known for yeah that sounds like a fucking tony scott award if ever yeah. fucking heard one. um so yes that's what that were the the two that i would uh that i would flip I, I tell you what the most the weirdest like most car crash one would be which is yeah, i'm ready uh, Tim, tony I'm ready. scott's a good year oh. <laughs> oh. tony scott directing uh russell crowe just just pottering around in france making some wine <laughs> I, that might be really interesting. That might actually work. What I, would, I thought you were going to say like Tony Scott's Blade Runner and, uh, <laughs> and Ridley Scott's Domino, the Bounty Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Next question, also from Ronoman seventy eight, also ties into a question from Zenos as well. So I kind of read them together, and we'll we'll go from there. We'll we'll, we'll answer it as kind of a a, a grouped kind of thing. So Ronoman says, "What was the most misleading trailer that you saw for a movie?" Intentionally misleading or blatant, what the fuck was that kind of misleading? And Xenos said, Last in season we had an episode about film trailers, but they were all memorable trailers, and the ones we considered good. What's the best trailer you've seen for a film that totally failed to live up to the expectations it created? So, a good trailer that led to a bad film, and a misleading trailer. I'm going to answer with the same film, and I think I've oh, talked about this before because I, I mentioned it on the trailers. <laughs> you know, just like hold it up for a little thing. And I've talked about it on the show, and I won't go on because you know I will. It's the Man of Steel trailer. It's the yeah, teaser trailer for Man of Steel. Of yeah. course it is. Yeah. What else is it going to be for me? Where they had their, their music and the, he learns to fly and that whole thing and the, the, the Jor-El speech yeah. and... Then films a piece of shit and doesn't do anything with that and doesn't do anything for Superman. So, yeah, that teaser trailer I think is still brilliant and is such a misrepresentation of what that film stands for in yeah. terms of Superman as a character and Henry Cavill as Clark and Superman. So, yeah, that's my answer for both. Fair, fair. <laughs> Matt, how about you? Uh, let's go with the. Um... The hype one first thing, so the film that uh, the trailer that I thought was great and the, the film couldn't deliver on. There are lots of these, in fact, you just sort of forget about them, and then you watch the trailer and think, "Oh, that trailer is still fucking great." God, I wish the film was more like this, because um, <laughs> Man of Steel is a very, very good example. We genuinely coming off of the Batman movies, the Dark Knight trilogy, we were like, "Man of Steel is going to be the best fucking experience." This is a this is <laughs> they've oh finally God, done it. They've, they've done made it. a good. Superman yeah, movie, yeah. oh my Especially god! Especially after Superman Returns, which was a bit of a oh god, yeah, like, it has flat. one one great sequence, and then the rest of it is pretty mad. Yeah. So my 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 uh, trailer that's still good, still gives me a bit of a shiver. It's like, oh god, I forgot this is so cool because of what it doesn't show specifically. It's very clever with it, which it doesn't show, and we've discussed it technically in the past. The Matrix Reloaded. Ah, ah. yes. It gave us so much visual imagery of, I mean, just literally seeing. In the sort of flash of imagery and stuff, there's like, you know, without him, the world falling, got um, uh, Rob Duggan's music as well as lots of other bits and pieces. So obvious of its time as well in the early 2000s. Um, 
hiya fellas all that kind of shit it's just that there's more of them all the premise like oh this is gonna be this is insane <laughs> and you had a bit of the burly brawl going on and you've got Lawrence Fishburne facing this this SUV that's heading towards it and he just slinks to the side and you see a katana and I'm like what the <laughs> fuck is this movie it looks like a fucking anime this looks astonishing this is gonna be the best sequel ever made um, and it wasn't it was a bad movie um, with some good moments but most importantly there are I think I want to say two or three shots of Zion and those were specifically a big crowd shot of, you know, the big dance sequence. So it's like, oh, the, the you know, the, the cave where they're all uh, having their rave. Um, rave cave, if you will. The rave and cave. The sec- yeah, rave cave. And the second one is the whole, they need you. I need you. And it's like, cool. That's as much Zion as you get. And you get all this cool, you know, Merovingian shit and, and the, the mm. twins. And it's like, oh, this is going to be spectacular. And it's not that it's misleading. But it's quite misleading. Yeah. And I know that kind of answers both questions, but this, only, this one specifically because it, it makes me think, no, it was so hyped. I was watching it. Oh, and this was the day when, when the internet was getting faster just about, so you could download the trailer mm. to watch it. And I was like, this is amazing. This is, this is the future. I yeah. can watch a trailer. Go it to, only took me six hours to download. Go, go to the, the Apple website, get your QuickTime player going and, and <laughs> watch it because that, that was the higher quality version rather than waiting for all that. Yeah. Yeah. You you just get your 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 uh, your Winamp yes. thing and you download it with its special Matrix skin. And, and, but that's that's just an example of a trailer thing that was very well put together. Still, I still watched. I watched it literally last night in preparation for this, and I thought, yeah, it's a great trailer. It's really yeah. good. The other question, a misleading one. Now, I was going to talk about Bridge to Terabithia because I brought it up before. I think in in the trailers episode we did because it's like. It was trying to do this young adult fiction thing at the time with a, you know, transport into a magical world of creatures. And it's like, that's not what it's about. It's more about fucking tragedy. Tragedy, yeah. And we don't have a TV in our house. Um, brilliant fucking movie, by the way. I really love it. But every poster, every bit of marketing, not at all what you're going to get. Mm. But the film I want to talk about is one that is frankly astonishing that it even exists. It's a 2015 movie. I'm going to read off some of the cast. Tom Hardy, Numi Rapace, Gary Oldman, Joel Kinnaman, Jason Clark, Vincent Cassell, Paddy Considine, Charles Dance. And it's like, this is a pretty fucking stacked cast. What the fuck is this movie? 2015, you say? Yeah. And it's based on a best-selling book. Oh, wow. What's it about? It's about uh, children going missing in, in Soviet Russia. Fuck, this sounds really cool. Um, so the trailer, it, it's, not, it's a tricky one to say it's misleading. It's a trailer that makes you think the film is good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> not because it's a well put together trailer, but because it's got stuff going on and the film does not have stuff going on. Um, the film is very slow and very rote and I have it on Blu-ray for some reason. Of course you could watch it. Yeah. The only way I could watch it was just literally to buy it. Um, and I was like, wow, five pounds. This is cheap. I wonder why. I remember seeing the trailer and thought, this could be quite good. The production value seems really nice and the cast is great. And again, the book is meant to be very, very good. But... It was, uh, I think, Daniel Espinosa who, who directed it. Um, no necessary slight against him, shall we say. But uh, he, he recently directed Life with Jake Gyllenhaal and Rebecca Ferguson and, and Ryan Reynolds, which I actually rather like. That's a pretty, pretty good film. Before that, he directed Safe House with uh, uh, Denzel Washington. I was like, that's fine. And he's got, this, this is the key bit here. He's doing the Morbius film. <laughs> that should tell you everything you need to know. So yes, I, I I was just very unimpressed. It was just a really flat you, movie. I thought, you, you haven't actually given us the name of the film yet, Matt. That doesn't matter. You're not going to go out and seek it. No, no. <laughs> the film is called Child 44. 
thank you, Tim, for reminding me. I would have, I would literally have just wrapped it and said, yeah, that's it. Um, yeah. Yes, it, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's so frustrating because there's so many components of it that make it a good film, but it's so boring and so flat and goes nowhere and does nothing. I remember the, I remember the book being around when I worked in a bookstore um, and being like one of Same. those books that had a fair bit of buzz around it. But yeah, I remember that film just kind of existing and then sinking without a trace. Yeah, it's, it's like the book thief where they're like, you know, they buy up a hot property, make a film into it and then it goes, mm-hmm. you just, you've lost everything. We talked about this on our adaptation episode. Um, sorry, novel to film adaptations, where you just you just lose so much. And it's like, well, how did you how did you get here from where you had <laughs> such great starting material? But there you go. So don't bother seeking out; it's not worth it. Tim, what have you got for us? Um, I'll go with my my misleading choice or choices first. I wanted to give an honourable mention to a film that is deliberately misleading with its trailer. Yes. Oh, interesting. Uh, which is, uh, and and not for oh, we're trying to conceal a twist or or anything like that, because they realised that they had a really shit film on their hands, <laughs> and so they decided to market it to it's it's technically a sort of lock stock gangster comedy, and they decided to market it as a kids film. What? Oh, I'm very what curious. are you talking about? Interesting. Uh, the film in question is Kangaroo Jack. Oh fuck! Oh god, <laughs> yeah. Jerry O'Con. Oh fucking hell! Yeah, yeah. Which was marketed heavily with a rapping kangaroo in the trailer. That was basically the whole trailer, and that yeah. is a sequence in the film that is a hallucination. And for the rest of the film, kangaroo doesn't fucking rap, uh, and it's not. It's not really a kids' <laughs> film. Like it's suitable for children, I guess, mm. but it. But it. But it ain't a kids' film. And the the, yeah, the the company behind it were like. Uh, we don't know how to market this and it's kind of a turd. Um, <laughs> let's pretend it's a kid's film and it fucking worked. It made a bunch of money in the first weekend wow. and then everybody turned around and went, uh, this wasn't the film that I expected uh, to take yeah. my six-year-old to. That, that's an honourable mention. The one I actually want to talk about in terms of misleading uh, is About Time, the Richard Curtis film, uh, oh, which, yeah. I, which yes. I really like. It's interesting because the the trailer, if you watch it, makes it seem like it's going to be all about for people who don't know it's it's a sort of a rom-com where Domhnall Gleeson's character can time travel back in his own did we talk about this in the time travel episode yeah. I think I think like we, we did, did yeah. Uh, yeah yeah he Tim can Bottom. he can jump back in his own timeline um and the the trailer makes it seem like it's going to be all about him wooing Rachel McAdams basically and like a lot of kind of oh you know I've I've changed something and now we've never met and and all those kind of things um that only really happens briefly in the film and the their their courtship their dating time uh only takes up maybe the first like third of the film they mm-hmm. get married like pretty straight on and it's much more about it's about his relationship with his father who's played by bill nye it's about his relationship with his sister um mm. it's about him it's about their like married life together um, and none of that really comes across in the trailer. It makes it seem like it's going to be a lot more of a traditional rom-com. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really like that film. But yeah, that trailer does not really accurately represent what it's going to be about. That reminds me of uh, uh, the trailers for The Place Beyond the Pines, which is like, oh, it's a Ryan Gosling film about him being a, a, a bike guy. It's like, mm. for the first third, yeah. yeah. Then, he's not, <laughs> then he's not in the film anymore. <laughs> it's like, if you're thinking about this, like, there's like Drive or something, you're mistaken. Yeah, that was just like Drive. Was... He's on he's on the posters and stuff, right? Yeah. <laughs> that was definitely a case of like, hey, Drive did pretty well. Let's uh That's exactly it. Yeah. yeah. The, and then the 
trailer that failed to live up to its expectations, I'm also going with the DC Expanded Universe, the Suicide Squad trailer. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Sorry, I should say Suicide Squad trailer, not the yes, Suicide Squad the, yeah, trailer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Suicide Squad trailer's good. <laughs> yes. At the time of recording, we've recently had the Suicide James Gunn's Suicide yes. Squad trailer. Yes. <laughs> I'm talking about uh, David Ayer's uh, Suicide Squad, the... Release the air cut. Yeah, oh, fuck off. Um, yeah, the uh, the Bohemian Rhapsody. I got fuck trailer. off from both of you. That was good. <laughs> oh, that bloody Bohemian Rhapsody trailer. The, yeah. the yeah. kind of ruined the film because people liked that trailer, and so they went to try and make the Deadpool film more it. like that. Yeah, make it Deadpooly, make it Guardians of the Galaxy, and I I don't I don't believe that there's a good film like I don't believe in the air cut. I don't believe that there's a good film underneath <laughs> it all, but it that film is definitely the result of like too many cooks of of tr- making one film and then trying to make another film in the edit and it not yeah. working um i don't think it, either of the films are good <laughs> that that it could be uh but yeah. it comp it it makes a bad film an incomprehensible film and that trailer actually made it look like it could be fun and it's not it's not fun it's a fucking slog to watch that film because it's so bad it makes me think of the. Uh, okay, I, I I'm very much a a, a, a proponent that uh, Talladega Nights, the Ballad of Ricky Bobby, is infinitely better than Anchorman, and not a lot of people agree with that, but but I'm still correct. But there's a wonderful scene in it where um, uh, Will Ferrell sticks a knife in his leg. To prove <laughs> I was just thinking about that yeah, scene. Yeah, he puts a knife in his leg to prove he can't walk, and then Michael Clark Duncan says, "I know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna use this other knife to get the knife out. I'll just cut around the knife." Yeah. <laughs> It's like, what are you doing? You're making it so much worse. It's like, that's just, you know, Ayer's like stabbed you in the leg with this awful movie. And it's like, well, at least I can get through it and you can pull that out soon. I'm going to stick another couple of knives in. What the fuck? I'm going to go go in from a two angles and prong them out. Like, please, please just, please just stop. Also, release the air cut where I put three more knives in. Oh, I'm good. For God's sake, I'm good. With the the release the air cut out of the way, let's move on to the next question, shall we? What did you think of the Snyder Cup? We'll get back to that. Don't worry. There's the teeth. Oh, oh, oh! It's official now. Another question from Discord. This time from Ramps with a Z. If we lived in a world where Peter Jackson made the Mortal Kombat movies, the sequelizer's alternate timeline <laughs> has shifted by one Tim Matum. I added that bit. What video game would you like to have seen made into a movie in the late '90s, early 2000s, and see if it could take off as a real franchise? And I have one that I actually mentioned all the way back in our video game movies episode, funnily <laughs> enough. And I will stick by this. This is the hill I'm willing to die on. Sure. A 1999 game that is highly underrated, underappreciated. Uh, was quite well reviewed at the time, but has kind of fallen off from the memory of uh, many video game players over the years. Legacy of Kane, Soul Reaver. Mm, I love that shit. I would want to see a big legacy of Cain, like like ignore, like underworld and all that shit, and we get legacy of Cain instead as like yeah. this ongoing yeah. vampire, old god, demonic, madness, time travel fucking franchise. Actually, yeah, better better director to keep Michael Sheen. Fuck yes, that's yeah great. exactly. Sign sign me up. Mm. I, I want to see multiple. There's, I mean, in the actual franchise, there's like six different games, and they're of varying quality. Sure, but. Soul Reaver is kind of the classic one that really kind of cemented that franchise in a lot of people's minds and things like that. There was Soul Reaver 2, and it gets into mad time travel bullshit, <laughs> and 
the story is actually quite good from Soul Reaver to Soul Reaver 2 as part of the, the, the grander kind of Legacy of Kane series. But then you get like Blood Omen 2 and Defiance and all this other bullshit and the, the online multiplayer one that was, yeah, never actually released and was all in development hell for years and all this kind of shit. So let's stick with the Soul Reaver stuff. Have the main kind of Kane and um, all that kind of, yeah, vampire lore and yeah. elder yeah. god bollocks all tied together which i really like kind of combining some lovecraftian stuff and some vampire lore and mashing it all together I, I mean if we're having it replace underworld you could probably also get away with bill nye as kane mm. oh here we go this is good this is good michael michael sheen as Razael. god i'm so annoyed at the minute <laughs> <laughs> here we go we're sequelizing on the spot folks and yeah. it's working it's working. Better, better director, and I think that's actually going to be really fucking cool. God damn it! <laughs> I, yeah, like I said, that's pretty much what I said in the uh, mm. video game movies episode way back when. But yeah, I, I need more Legacy of Kane stuff in my life. Tim, how about you? Since you are the proprietor of this, I am I alternate. Am. Alternate Peter Jackson did the MK movies timeline. It's only right. I, d- I don't have a I don't have a a director or anything picked out or or a star. And I think this is one of those ones where just thinking about the late 90s, early 2000s, even in our alternate universe where, where video game movies get, get better treatment, this could still go really good or really bad. Uh, but I would like to see a Metroid film done Ooh, well. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of that period, you know, having a female protagonist in an action franchise is sometimes you get really good stuff and sometimes you end up with underworld <laughs> and you know there, there's a real it's it's almost a coin flip as to whether you would end up with a good version i think you would at least i i think that there's room for a really interesting story there although i would be absolutely insistent that whatever choices were made in the adaptation that uh samus could still turn into a little ball roll around because that's fucking <laughs> awesome <laughs> Does not question the physics of that. She has ball. She has ball morph mode, and we don't talk about exactly. It. That's just the thing. And she drops bombs from her little ball form because reasons. Because it <laughs> happened in the video game. Exactly. Yeah, the exactly. That's why was there that first person bit in the Doom film? Because yeah. video games. Yeah. That's why. <laughs> I th- I think you could measure the the quality of a Metroid film by how much it insisted that you had zero suit Samus rather than regular samus oh, yeah, like yeah, if yeah, it's yeah, yeah. if it's a lot of like traipsing around in the the skin type blue costume it's no good no we need yeah. that we need the fucking <laughs> helmet on we need the yeah. giant orange yeah. shoulder pads yeah. I, I would maybe argue you do a dread and she doesn't take the helmet off at all yeah potentially I do, have a, fl- a Tony have a stark fl- kind of thing where you see inside the helmet all the, all the- yes yeah yeah sure yeah. yeah yeah but you don't need the i think it's because it's so well known now that you don't have the big reveal of Zero Suit Samus like you did back in the day where it's like yeah. and she has the, the blonde flowing look like oh my god like Samus is a woman solo Enfys nest it's like oh my god <laughs> yes. it's a woman Hel- helmet off and all the hair just goes oh god although I, d- yeah. I love the idea that in you know ancient Japan where they would shave the top of the head uh, so that the helmet wouldn't cause problems with it. so you got this you know this top knot look it's like she's got that she's got long hair but the whole top of her scalp is shaved. Like, that's a why? Why? Why did that's you do look, that? That's a choice. She's on a helmet. Obviously, it's the most sense. It's like, <laughs> oh my god, this is Demi Moore all over again. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Matt? 
It's a bold one, I'm not going to lie. Um, just because Uh-oh. it's a square, before they came Square Enix, um, a Squaresoft game, so it's quite fucking all over the place. It's a franchise that very few people may have played um, called Parasite Eve. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, so this came up in a kind of funny podcast not too long ago. Oh, yeah. They were talking about PlayStation franchises to bring back. I'm like, what's Hideo Kojima's next project going to be? <laughs> a massive budget Parasite Eve. <laughs> and it became such a meme in that community. Oh, really? They, it almost won the like greatest fr- PlayStation franchises <laughs> you want to see return like, mean, tournament that they did. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what is Parasite Eve and why do you want it back, Matthew? Why, why do you want a film um, of it? I think you'd have to do a, a bit of a stripped down grounded version for cinema because reasons. Or Hideo um, Kojima balls to the wall, absolute madness. I don't want to see that in in, in an early two thousands because the amount of CGI they do badly. That early two thousand CGI. The, the basic premise to start with is the fact that there's a cop in New York called Aya, and uh, well, Aya technically, uh, and uh, she's at this opera, and then all of a sudden, this uh, this lady singing the opera um, hits a certain note, and so many people spontaneously combust uh, into flames. And it's just they have this this cop just going around trying to figure these things out on a sort of Christmassy Christmas period, trying to figure out what the fuck's going on. There's this whole conspiracy with this doctor at the Natural Museum of Natural History and stuff like that. And it's all so weird, and there's sperm involved as well, if I remember correctly. It's <laughs> a lot of weird shit that you'd have to obviously really work around. But if you got it to be like a, a Guillermo del Toro movie where he could actually funnel that stuff into a, a palatable uh, format uh, about the idea of this strange entity trying to take over and effectively cause the end of the world by just burning everybody it's like yeah that makes sense you could, you could do that kind of weird shit um you know running around new york at christmas time trying to stop people from bursting into flames because that's cut oh shit that's that's kind of the film end of days yeah <laughs> starring arnold schwarzenegger and, and peter gabriel that i don't think is that actually think is underrated film i think it's fine not good just fine uh, yeah, so Ga- like Gabriel that. Byrne, not Peter Gabriel. Oh God's sake! Yeah, sorry. <laughs> oh, I, I, my brain Press went. Giant did, fucking P- did Peter Gabriel do the soundtrack? Is that what I'm so I don't remember that. Right. Right. Back to fucking yeah. Peter Frampton showing up everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yes, Gabriel Byrne, classic Irish actor, not Peter Gabriel, former Genesis. Sledgehammer. <laughs> um, yes, my apologies. That's great. Um, I think that would be cool if you make it sort of like um, ground it quite a lot and make it this this strange race across a city against time kind of thing and uh, a, a very underhand thing. Again, it's, it's the, it's, it's Parasite Eve's always been seen as a sort of Square's version of Resident Evil mm. in a weird way, minus, kind the, of, yeah. minus the zombies. But yeah, I think it's Parasite Eve 2 is technically better, um, but I think you give a good starting point. I don't have in terms of problems, and I, I mentioned Guillermo del Toro just now just as a throwout name, just to give you a bit of grounding, but I think what's going to happen is it's a 2005 movie I don't know who directed it, but I know Scarlett Johansson would star in it. Um, <laughs> of course. And I don't actually have a problem with that because I think Scarlett Johansson's a good actor. Provided the script is all right, if I'm honest. I was just thinking about it just now. Yeah, it's, it's tricky. But um, yeah, there you go. That's my thoughts. The, the idea of Del Toro doing a film set at Christmas really intrigues me. Like a, mm. like a dark action horror, but set at Christmas. A Burton. Yeah. Batman Returns. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Before we answer more of your questions, time for an ad. Today's episode is presented by The Skin Store. 
For over 20 years, the Skin Store has been the number one destination for premium skincare, hair care, and beauty products. With over 8,000 different products from 300 different brands, the Skin Store has you covered for all of your hair, cosmetics, supplements, and of course, skincare needs. Find your favorite brands like Eltimid, don't know how to pronounce that one, New Face, Olaplex, and more, all in one place with gifts with every purchase. Right now, the Skin Store is offering our listeners 20% off their next purchase by using the code POD. That's P-O-D for 20% off your next purchase at skinstore.com slash pod.list. Skin Store, have the confidence to tackle the day ahead. Exclusion supply. We recently put out a little Google Form listener feedback survey. And there's been some interesting, very interesting results. We've got the, the charts and the graphs here. And there's a couple of things we'd like to talk about. First of all, thank you very much for everybody who filled out. We really appreciate you giving us some some feedback, some stats to work with for our plans in the future and all that kind of stuff, including what merch we're working on, things we can improve, your favorite episodes, and all that other good stuff as well. I really, really love the the widespread of favorite episodes. I mean, we, we can all appreciate that there's some old school stuff, some stuff done by Matt, some stuff done by me, some stuff done by Tim very recent stuff, some prequel stuff, all the different mixture, which was very, very nice to see. It wasn't just like, yeah, everyone's favourite episode is the same thing. Do that again. It was nice to see a, a wide range of results. Would you Would you agree, gentlemen? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, yes. Um, yeah, there were some really interesting ones that people came back with, and, and it's it's really nice to see that, that there's... We, we try and put something out there for everyone, and so it's nice to see that everyone is listening. I think some of the, some of the big ones, you know, the season finales, we obviously go go big or go home kind of thing. So Mortal Kombat Annihilation came up, the big Harry Potter trilogy that Matt did came up. One I was surprised by, the Despicable Me three episode, <laughs> which I have a feeling, <laughs> no offense, is more about the episode than the film itself, maybe because we did have a lot of fun taking the piss out of minions and Gru and Gorals and all that kind of stuff. So maybe that's like. A, partic- a oh, particularly yeah, funny from, from a banter perspective rather than yeah. <laughs> our, our, our dissection of it as opposed to imagine the actual the film content as it were like oh I love Despicable Me 3 and I'm glad you guys were talking about it oh you it. finally talked about my passion project Despicable Me 3 yeah yeah exactly um, a yeah. couple of bits of feedback we see that people are very interested in getting particular pieces of merch from us you know we've worked on some t-shirts so far we will have some more mm-hmm. t-shirts coming we'll have a I have another poster in the works, ladies and gentlemen. That's coming soon as well. We've had some requests for some pin badges, some mugs, some hoodies, and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, we'll look into it. I, I have been doing some research when working out some budgets, and uh, you can expect some new, unusual, and interesting sequelizers merch soon. There's a little teaser. It's making sure that whatever we give you is going to be of a really yeah. good quality, and we have to do a lot of testing and stuff. So, we, we are the guys we worked with for our t shirts, Vino Sangre, they're uh, local really eco-friendly super cool guys like we try and work with small independent local brands that are as you know ecologically minded as we possibly can and all that kind of stuff to reduce our company's effect on the world and and the the local economy and make sure we're supporting fellow small businesses and and local businesses and stuff like that so we'll be looking into that we will certainly be doing some research and getting some new merch in the works very very soon 
few other things people want to see from us. We've done trailer reaction videos before. I know we reacted to the Morbius trailer. Which <laughs> <laughs> we did. We did. Um, I would love to do more of that. I think once we're able to get back in the room together, I think that would make a yeah, lot more sense. Yeah. Um, they, we could do it as kind of in the same way we do our live streams, but it's a bit tricky to then record that, get get the audio quality where we'd want it to be in terms of everything all working together and working nicely and all that kind of stuff. So once we're back in the room together, once we're able to get, you know, around a table and around a screen together, we can do more of that kind of stuff and do a bit more video content for you guys. A few other things people said they want more kind of information about the original film. So the original bad sequel we're fixing. If it's a lesser known, most people know Fantastic Beasts or have heard of Alien 3 or whatever it is, but like, some of the more th- more obscure things we do touch on, people want synopsis and a bit more of a breakdown and analysis and discussion of why the first film didn't work and all that kind of stuff. So we're going to bring synopses back, ladies and gentlemen. I did them way back in the day when I was uh, only hosting and not pitching. But yeah, we're bringing it back. Season 8 is going to include the original film, as in the bad sequel original film, synopsis. So for those of you who aren't familiar with the original, we can give you a quick rundown about the plot, how it all works, and then once you get into the pitch, you'll then understand the differences and the changes we're making, even if you haven't seen the original. It'll hopefully help you guys understand where we're coming from in terms of pitching and changing and editing and stuff like that. So I think that's something we had already talked about, but seeing that people definitely yeah. want it, I think that reaffirms that for season eight, we will definitely be bringing that back. People also mentioned live shows. We'd love to. There's a fucking <laughs> pandemic. Give us a chance <laughs> when we're able to, and when we're able to organize stuff and venues are back open whenever the hell that's going to happen in the UK because the poor live event scene is completely screwed by the pandemic at the moment. So, music venues and comedy venues and even pubs and stuff are really struggling for all this sort of stuff. We would love to do it. We hope to do it. We, we've always had it as a Patreon stretch goal at some point to do live shows. It's just the, it's the practicality of two or three things. Number one, we have to obviously pay for it first and then people have to come along and do it. So that's thing number one. And that's not us bitching. That's just saying that there's a reality of what we're going to do. Number two is the big bastard. Where the crap do we hold it? That's an excellent question because Norwich is a bit out of the way, isn't it, really? If we're Famously. Honest, it's not exactly it's the, the, to it, so yeah. the cultural hub of the UK. And you kind mm. of have to go out of your way to get here. You can't like... A lot of places you have to like... If you're coming from the north, you travel down and then change... And then, you know, get a train heading east to Norwich or it's a it's a six hour drive from wherever yeah. or all this kind of stuff. We we're possibly thinking about doing it in a bigger city that's easier to get to. But that is all, you know, not even at the planning stage yet because of the pandemic and stuff. We have discussed it in the past and we were gearing up to like thinking about venue sizes and thinking about locations and stuff. And then the world closed down. So bear with us. We will do that at some point. We promise we will get around to at least having a meetup and doing some live stuff with you guys, maybe doing a live stream, maybe doing a full show. We don't know, but we have some plans. We have some works. We've got some ideas, and that will certainly be happening in the future. Don't worry. Hello, Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> that was some of the highlights from the listener feedback survey. Thank you very much again, everybody who filled in. You are influencing the future of the show, the future of merch, the future of the Patreon, and everything else in between. And uh, as I said, we'll address plenty of those in the coming months once we're all vaccinated and things are back open and we're able to do all that kind of stuff. Jack, am I right in thinking that that link will still be active for people if they're thinking, oh, I've, actually, I've got something to say. Would we be able to 
share it with people that can give us the, drop their thoughts whenever they need to yes it's a, it'll be in the show notes it's a little google doc you don't need to sign up for google as far as i know you just uh, fill out the form and there are some optional questions there are some required questions basically how like i said feedback about merch feedback about where you are when you first started listening to the show giving us some more details and stats and so we can kind of target what we're doing in the main show and outside of the main show with the interseason stuff and bonus content and optimize it for our audience basically make sure you guys are getting what you want for your dollars or for your free subscribers or for the live streams whatever it is we're trying to make sure you guys are getting what you want from the show and making sure we're able to adapt to that and and offer you guys more more and more as the show and the and the the company begins to grow i suppose so back to the questions this time from twitter kieran golding asks are there any films you've previously sequelized that you'd love to take another crack at or had another strong idea on what you'd do after the episode aired and then a follow-up question from kieran we'll tackle these kind of together in a way and tim in particular you tim right there yeah tim, what's a problem <laughs> Are there any films from before you joined the show that you wish you'd been able to sequelize? So the the, the pre-Tim mm. era of sequelizers. And I guess, Tim, I'll come to you first because since that, <laughs> that second question is so directly aimed at you. Yeah, I mean... I, I, <laughs> it's like tw 12 episodes? Yeah. I mean, there's also the fact that, yeah. I mean, Jack, you weren't sequelizing for... Yeah, thanks, Kieran. Few. Fuck you. Come on. <laughs> Very true. Very I just forgot about me. Tim wasn't here for 12. Jack hasn't been here for like 30. <laughs> yeah. Tim has done way more sequelizing yeah. than I have on this show. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's there's a few uh, in the early episodes that I definitely would have had some ideas for. Um, I think Independence Day Resurgence. Uh, I think I probably would have come up. Not that I've actually seen I'm... that film, but I... I no, don't. I <laughs> am still have a lot of affection for the original whereas i remember stuart did had zero affection yeah. mr ashen does not to say the least so yeah that that would have been an interesting one um i think the natural one ones for me uh as a big comic book guy are, are batman forever and especially superman 3 uh which is one of those films yeah. i have again weird affection for oh no tim obviously both of both of the pitches uh, for that episode involved a kind of a Justice League uh, precursor. I, I would not have gone in that direction at all. I would have kept it pure Superman uh, and leaned into the, the, the aspects of Brainiac that are there in Superman 3 um, and made that more of a, a faithful adaptation and less, uh, less Richard Pryor skiing off a building. <laughs> there was a there was a tweet recently which was Superman three would be better if it was a bit less silly, but it would be much worse if it wasn't silly at all. Uh, which I think is my, pretty much my approach <laughs> to comic book movies um, mm -hmm. uh, and comic books in general. Um, that explains a lot of the DC. Yeah, where it's like sense of humor, huh? What? Where? No self awareness. Pfft, bollocks to yeah. that. Uh, yeah. So that 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 would be my pick for for early films to to go back to i don't think there's anything that we've worked on since where i've gone back to and gone oh man i've i've now had a better idea for that yeah th those are the ones that jump out to me like i said when i write stuff i come up with multiple ideas and just kind of start throwing stuff at the page for want of a better phrase so i do that a lot with i will kind of kind of come up once i get a director and a cast set in my head and i work out like which story which one which version i've got in my head would work best with that team 
that tends to be where my process goes down. So there isn't anything I've written since becoming a, a full sequelizer, not just the host, where I've thought like, oh, no, I could have done that in a different way and it worked better. I think I've ended up with, usually ended up with the, the best product, especially when we get to feedback with each other and we come to that process mm, sure, of like, sure. actually, no, yeah, that director does make sense. And what, like when you said, why not just use James Mangold for Wolverine? I was like, fuck, <laughs> yeah, of course you just do a Mangold trilogy. That makes all the sense in the world. That kind of stuff where you have those little mm. eureka moments between the three of us, like the writer's room kind of thing that we talked about yes. when we swapped yeah. this new format after the three of us. It's very much that kind of vibe we were going for. And I love that kind of thing. And I kind of already done an earlier episode because I did Spider-Man 3 meets Blade. Yes. So <laughs> I kind of, I kind oh, yeah, of cheated and true, did that true. already. So I already sequelized the season three thing by doing it in season seven <laughs> because I didn't get a chance to do uh, Spider-Man 3 back in the day. So yeah, I kind of cheated and already did it myself. <laughs> Matt, as a man who has been sequelizing from day one, the only one of us yeah. who has been sequelizing from day oh, one. Oh yeah, God. How about you? What regrets do you have? What Are there anything like, since you've been doing it day one, I guess, is there anything you wish you'd had on your list that maybe Plowshans had back in the day or sure, sure. Tim and I have tackled or, or anything like that? Mm. Shrek Max. <laughs> <laughs> fucking, <laughs> fucking Shrek. Shrek Max. Uh, no, no. Um, I don't mean like Tex-Mex style food. I mean Mech. You mean Mech the third. Yeah. yeah. Mech the halls. <laughs> no, no, I'm being facetious. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's something where you have to sort of look at your own evolutionary arc and make some critiques and things as any, you know, responsible and uh, uh, mature adult can do and talk about the gas leak year, um, specifically Series 4. Now, Series 4 was a weird one for us because it was very turbulent. It was very... Um, uh, fluid because we were trying to figure out what we were doing. Stuart had left the show leaving us with four people. We started trying to work the writer's room concept. Yeah, to, we hadn't to put it into perspective, we, we did season three, which finished like September of 2018 and then we came back for our announcement and, and Ashen's leaving and all that kind of stuff in May of mm. 2019. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it was like, we took an eight month break. I, I still don't know why we did. We fucking shouldn't have done but we no. did. And then we came back for season four, minus Ashens, obviously. So, yes. and Alec left at the end. Of and Alec four, then left reasons, at the end. Yeah. Of the season, and then yeah. from season five, there's been the three of us. This isn't me shitting on 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 my friends at the end of the day. <laughs> so we're still friends. It's more the sense that we were not sure how the show would work. Uh, we was like, we can't do the two pitches thing. It's too much. We should do one. What we we were working towards what we're doing now, basically. But the problem was the format didn't work. We're all trying to share responsibilities without coordinating with each other. So. Like one person writes the script, another person does all the casting. It's like that's it, it can work. It yeah. mostly didn't. How did we think that so, was a good idea? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But from my format, it would be a case of like, uh, yeah, Jurassic Park. I like a good because again, that was one. It's, it's not I mean, what we have currently is, uh, let's take the the previous season for example. Something is written by Jack. Jack brings it to us, and we say that's interesting, and we workshop it together until it's something we don't try and say. Mm, Jack, I change your story entirely. Mm. It's it's not really about that. It's like, well, here's the product. We're, you know, we're ninety cent through filming. How would we shift? It? How can we improve this? And most of the time, we're like, yeah, I need just minor changes. And it's very, it's just much more clarification than anything else. But I think when it was previously the sense of like, no, no, but we have kind of control, but not control. Uh, I don't. I, I feel like I have my input. I can give my opinion. I can give my voice, my my uh, concern with certain things, and and love that there's a different perspective on it. But um, when, like, for example, in, in in series four, 
Tim did a fantastic Fast and the Furious pitch mm, to Fast yeah. and the Furious. I thought it was very good. No problem with that at all. But, but you could see it wasn't breaking down because the time you get to the end of it where Die Hard comes around, all three of us came up with a Die Hard pitch. And I remember very distinctly, it was just me saying, I've, I've written this Lion King thing. And before we start recording, I said, yeah, uh, no, Matt, no, not, I don't know, I'm happy with that. We did, <laughs> like, okay. we did three Die Hard pitches and that episode is 92 minutes long. <laughs> we do one Mortal Kombat <laughs> We do no, one um, Mortal Kombat pitch. Yeah. And it turns so it's, out it's, to be, how long was that episode? Let me just have a quick check. Three hours? It was. Let me just uh, get it up here. Oh, yes, it was uh, 209 minutes. <laughs> Similar. Which is, <laughs> which is three hours and 29 minutes. Yeah. We also restricted ourselves with time, and we've always felt that we should not limit ourselves. And I know some people are like, oh, make the episodes longer, make them shorter. You can never please everybody. We, we've it's had feedback essential. from both sides. Funnily enough, in we that have. survey I mentioned just we now, have. we had like, yeah, maybe you could do like shorter episodes or like break them up and stuff. Like, we did that. We did real one and real two. It was Disaster. it was mental. It was a terrible idea. Uh, yeah. And then we've had other people like, yeah, just do more. I want more content. Just <laughs> three or four hour episodes yeah, every time. Three, four hour every, do a do a Joe Rogan, do a critical role. Just do like a, a four hour mm. long thing every week. Like D- d- we no. seem to be getting there <laughs> I mean yeah we've but done that a couple of times but yeah if you want it shorter just pause it and come back <laughs> I was going to say that it's, it's more the sense that we like, there are films and like you know there was some big big brand stuff like Die Hard and, and Jurassic Park I thought oh I think we could, have a, we could have a good stab at it now we got this format worked out and that's nothing again I'm not slighting uh, anyone who was on the show previously I'm slighting us because I'm like ah fuck we, we didn't know what we, we, we weren't there yet we hadn't got this weekly format down we hadn't got what we got currently down I think I'd like another go at that, possibly. But who knows? We've got plenty of things to talk about. Yeah, it's it's really funny because it's, you know, we talk about how like, oh, you know, that was that was a pretty imperfect method of like, oh, you know, one person does the script and then one person picks the director and then one person picks the cast. It like doesn't really work. Except that's exactly how it works in the film industry. Um so it's kind <laughs> yeah. of a window. Yeah. Like we actually hate being screenwriters probably because you, you you know, you craft this thing and you're like, Oh, I've got this vision for who would star in it and like you know, uh, and then you hand it off to someone and they just change everything. Here's Kate Mara. Starring like, Rob yeah, Schneider. Mara. And you're like, what the fuck are you yeah. doing? No. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that was actually part of the conversation we were doing. It's like, well, how would it work in the film industry? Like, you know, how is the writer's room mm. sort of shared? Thing? We, we, we came up with this concept as, a, as an alternative, as a, as a better, workable, more entertaining show, a more cohesive and easier for us to work rather than doing 10, 12 pitches and things like that. So it's actually now much easier with four pitches each. So yeah, Jurassic Park. <laughs> That's the answer. <laughs> <laughs> On to the next question, again from Twitter, from Gareth Moss. Gareth asks, what were the hardest slash most difficult movies you had to sequelize? I guess I guess slash prequelize. And sure. I'll, I'll get onto the second question in a minute, but let, let, let's tackle this one first. I've talked about this before. In in the prequel, prequelizer era, the thing prequel mm. was a massive pain yep. in the ass for me. Yep. That is the hardest writing job I've had on this show. By a long shot. And I spent literal hours like looking at the layout <laughs> of different outposts and trying to work out like, right, so if it was in the prequel, they had it this way. And the prequel, as I said at the time, is meticulous with its detail of like, oh, there's a hole in the wall here that McCready sees in the original thing. So in the 2011 thing, that hole is made here and then the blood trail leads there and then there's the axe in the wall and it's all like everything laid mm. out basically step by step i'm like 
oh, do I deviate from that? And I'm like pausing and like, okay, there's a side by side, there's original thing, 2011 thing. So there's the hole there. If the axe is there, then the door through there leads to the kitchen. <laughs> you, you basically have to do like a crime scene reconstruction. It, yeah, I felt yeah, like a fucking yeah. forensic scientist just going through and trying to deconstruct this crime scene of this alien breaking out and causing Episode mayhem. Cannibal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I went Will Graham on that thing and, and I, <laughs> I went too deep. I didn't need to go as far as I did, but because I love the original so much, I felt like I needed to do it justice. And I was like, oh God, the pressure is on. And, I feel uh, like the level yeah. of detail is always appreciated because it shows that you do care about making a, a good project. And that's that's something that I think the listeners genuinely appreciate. It's like, oh, they're not just phoning in. They're not saying, oh, uh, the alien's in his ship having a wank and he just turns the radio <laughs> off and he's like, oh no, I'm crashing. <laughs> that's your prequel problem solved. It's like, what? You've actually gen- you know, gone, done the work and watched it back. And it's not just the guys like, oh, I'll bash this out in five minutes before the episode starts. It's like, no, 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 no. I want to make this. I mean, Tim has absorbed all the Mortal Kombat lore. <laughs> he can't do anything with this anymore. He can't remember. He can't remember his information. He can't remember his parents' names. He just knows Mortal Kombat. I just lore. call them. I just sad. call them Melina and Raiden. <laughs> that that explains a, a lot. The names you were going to come up with it was always going to be a very interesting <laughs> thing to analyze from a psychological fair, perspective. There, Melina Matum and Raiden Matum sound pretty cool. <laughs> that kind of works. All, all my children are going to be called yeah. Mortal Kombat characters. <laughs> Oh yes, please be my children. <laughs> Sonia. <laughs> Jax. Tim's like Sub-Zero. to announce his new uh, his new arrival of a child. He's like, I've got DLC <laughs> on the way. <laughs> it's Arnold Schwarzenegger. Wait, what? <laughs> uh, how about you guys? I think Mortal Kombat probably required the most <laughs> research, but that I, I didn't yeah. find that like taxing because I was I was having fun the whole time. Um, it just meant that I had like there was a there was a week and a half where I just had the wiki open about like eighteen mm. tabs at once kind of thing. Nothing nothing particularly sticks out in the same way that Jack's <laughs> nothing sticks out the way Jack's thing does. <laughs> I've heard that before. See a doctor, mate. I uh, comedies are always the really oh, tricky yeah. ones. Just to me, uh, just as a as a genre, because. They're so reliant on, uh, like, a you've 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 just got to sit down and think of like, okay, let's m- think of some really funny jokes and the the but, pitching but, and the the plot synopsis that we do doesn't really lend itself to like, oh, let's fit in a load of gags here because that's. I was about to say that we don't really do dialogue in our pitches. Yeah, exactly. So you can't really be like, blah blah blah. I'm just pitching, pitch, bits, pitching, and much. then. Here's uh, three lines of dialogue to fit this joke yeah. in, and then more like essential like stage direction style pitches that we do, and then and there's just three random lines of dialogue because that's a funny bit. Yeah, that, you, that you, would just completely break up the flow. You, we do do that sometimes, but yeah, you can yeah, you yeah. can like take the funniest film you can think of and like just read the Wikipedia plot summary. Like it's not a laugh riot, um, and so yeah. you don't. It's hard to get across that that spirit when you're pitching. I don't. I don't want to spoil series eight yet, Ooh. so I won't. But there is a uh, a film I'm dealing with that is a is a comedy. But if you read this, as as Tim just said, if you read the synopsis for it, it isn't <laughs> funny. It's very serious and it's fucked up. And the joke comes in the delivery rather than the circumstance, yeah. almost always. And writing my synopsis, I'm like, I'm gonna have to make caveats every now and again when we read the pitching. And of course, you know, they'd be delivering like. It's not as traumatizing yeah. as it sounds. Yeah, don't forget, I've cast this actor or actress and they're always really yeah. funny. So just assume, yeah. like when we do action stuff, like awesome action insert yeah. here. There you go. 
Jack did a musical and said it's sung like this. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, and I, I just as a we talked about it a lot during the season, but like the prequels were so much harder than regular sequels. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So much more restrictive. Yeah. Isn't it? yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that the problem you get in with that, with the thing, like I mentioned, when the original is not only revered as a classic, but also is meticulous with its detail, you get really locked down in that kind of stuff. And yeah, having to do, I remember Matt, you doing your Star Trek thing was like, well, it has to continue from Star Trek four and then it has to lead into six. So you've got to have something that fits in the middle there and like fixing the bridge that feels like contained. Yeah, yeah. The middle contained bridge movies are like often the hardest thing. And a prequel is, the opposite end of that obviously leading into the thing that is well known or better received and we're just like oh fuck okay so this guy's got to die because he's there and then his kid's going to grow up to be the main character in the following one that means it has to be 20 years before okay and you start I, like I said I was doing maths and trying to calculate distances and all this bullshit <laughs> yeah yeah prequels are harder folks <laughs> that's why so many Fair prequels awesome. are crap <laughs> <laughs> Matt have you got any picks that, that leap out to you from your ones that were, were particularly hard yes so uh, one could argue, much like Tim's with the Mortal Kombat, because the amount of lore and, um, and things I dismissed with both Queen of the Damned, where I just <laughs> wasn't happy with how it went out, even though I should be happy, it was perfectly fine. I just I think I should have just written the second fucking part because I'm so worried about word count. And the Hogwarts trilogy that I wrote for the prequel <laughs> thing, because again, I was like, I, I don't want to do a fucking Harry's dad goes to school bullshit. And I don't want to do like the America thing because they don't. It has too many lore questions. I want to go further back, and I'm doing my thing. And then it comes to what is a prequel? How far back can you go with its tangentially linked? Blah blah. But they're not my answer. My answer is something I had to do because of how we did the script um, that no one else has had to do since. Oh, all right, belly big bollocks. No, 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 no. It's 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 a challenge I didn't need to do. I oh, said okay. it myself, unfortunately. <laughs> and and it's something that I don't think anyone has had to deal with since. Because I'm pretty sure none of us have set a film before the seventies. I don't think. As in as in release release before the seventies. And doing a sequel to uh The Creature from the Black Lagoon. Yeah. Revenge of the Creature back very, in season two. Very difficult because uh back in the day Alec and, and Stuart did uh an eighties film after the whole mm. like, revival carpenting kind of thing. Great, love their pitch, it was really fun. But I said, Oh no, no, we'll I'll make a fucking 50s movie. You made it like a year or two later after the original, right? Like pretty because much straight away. Because that's what you would yeah. probably do at the time. There'd be no reason to hold on to it. Unless you, uh, you, know, you, know, you try and say, well, obviously, with hindsight, this would be better here. It's like, yeah, but sometimes the, the studio would just like, make another one. Which, as we know, make another one. And I was like, well, okay, I'll make the best 50s movie that I can. And then you get the casting problem. Like, fuck, you can't use certain people because they don't belong to certain studios. Shit, who, who are these people working for at this time? So you have to do so much research into old Hollywood. Then you get the fucking Hayes Code. And uh, I think it was Alec and I had a conversation such argument about, well, hang on, hang on, hang on. So you're saying the, he, he, he lets the dynamite go off to so save the others. And I was like, yeah. Oh, that's, is that suicide? Because you can't have that on the Hayes Code. And I was like, no, it's the same thing as a war movie. It's like, you know, I'm gonna, you don't see it on screen. He could have thrown the dynamite. It's just that you don't see it. So he's making the brave, bold sacrifice. He's like, oh, I don't know if they get along with it. And this is the conversation you have when you release films of a certain era. You get the whole, mm, would that go past the state censors? We always talk about like, oh, would it be popular? It's like, well, that's not really important making good movies. Mm. You know, would it sell? Yeah, it's kind of important because you want the film to do well, etc. Um, would it have been released because of the pandemic? That kind of thing is now going to be a, a factor. Uh, the, the writer's strike, you know, you're going to be addressing these things all the time. But 
nobody else has said fuck i'm now gonna have to go back and read a load of hollywood lore just to find out what the fuck i can and can't yeah. do and who i can and can't use it's like oh i'd love to use this person but i can't because they're not an mgm man or a fucking one of those person or whatever it is you know we always just say oh are they busy could they do it would they have the time are That's, they still you know, alive the in some cases obviously alive precisely <laughs> um i'm pretty sure we almost had like one recast of one just before we started filming or a recording sorry and it was like he's dead isn't he it was, oh, a, it was a composer that we had before. I think it was a composer, yeah. Yeah, and we found out they died like two years before the film was supposed to come out. Yeah, and I was shit. like, fuck, what about this person? And then you said, Matt was just like, oh, how about this person? Like, oh, yeah, that totally makes sense. <laughs> I was just like, yeah, quickly yeah. change that. Yeah. yeah. We couldn't do that now. We'd so, go in blind. We'd be screwed. It's <laughs> <laughs> very true. So yeah, that would be my, my hardest thing is, is just, I'm again, my knowledge and, and, and just the things I've absorbed about film history I've got enough, but when you go into that deep dive of that specific mm. studio in those specific years, yeah, and would they even be on board for doing this kind of thing? Mm. It's hard. To, it's hard to tell. Gareth's next question is: Would you guys try to sequelize bad series to good TV shows? Harkening back to our previous uh, motto slash slogan. No. In short, no, because that's a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> we, it's just because we have the reason, the time to just yeah. literally watch. I mean, the example that was given by yeah, Gareth was... he gives the example of The Walking yeah. Dead. So, reworking Series 2 of The Walking Dead, but doing it so it still leads into the events of Season 3, which is exactly what we were just talking about with mm-hmm. Star Trek Five yeah. being between 4 and 6, or prequels leading into yeah. the current movies, or however you want to word that. Oh, God, no. That sounds like so much more hassle than... You know, we, we're... Yeah. We pour our heart and soul as much as we can into the pitches and into the editing and into the production of this show when we're all not doing this as a full-time job. If we were doing this as a full-time <laughs> job, then maybe oh, yeah, yeah, we'd yeah. be able to dedicate more time watching TV shows and, and plotting stuff out. But at the moment, put, put, definitely, definitely not. <laughs> put it this way. If we were saying, this season we're going to do Rocky Five, then all of us respectively, have to watch not only all five Rocky films if we haven't seen them recently, plus the Creed movies. And Rocky Balboa. six Rocky films, sorry. Plus the two Creed movies and anything else surrounding it. And then someone has to write a huge pitch on it. And that's a lot of time. Um, And doing it with the series is just just so much content. Bear in mind, American TV shows have like 22 episodes a season as well. They're getting better now, thankfully. Yeah, thankfully with the the streaming stuff, we're getting like, oh, six episodes, eight episodes, (laughs) ten, twelve. Like, yeah, writing an entire season of Walking Dead. Here's 24, <laughs> like, 40-minute episodes. I'm like, oh, my God. It'd be exhausting. It's, it gets very tricky because TV, A, you know, you already talked about how, like, movies are collaborative in the most part. You know, you have a director, you have, a, uh, you know, you have actors involved. Yeah. Um, TV, even more so, is very rare that you have a single writer who is doing an entire season of TV. Um, and also, it's kind of only the the serial. We obviously deal with serialization going like continuity going from movie to movie, and sometimes we're trying to slot in a film like Matt, you know, like with Star Trek, where it's like, okay, well, I do also want to allow for you know future installments to be more or less consistent with TV. Like, a the the serialization of TV is very different, but also like it's only quite recently that tv had season-long arcs you know that is that is the kind of thing that only really became popular in the late 90s with kind of 
X Files yeah, and stuff like that. If you were, if we were like, oh, let's let's go back and fix the first season of Star Trek: The Next Generation. There's mm. no season arc with that. That's literally us writing twenty two different pitches for Star Trek <laughs> episodes, uh, and even you know more modern stuff. You know, you've got to take into account that each TV episode has to be a like coherent a satisfying unit of storytelling. And so it's a very different... With very strict time limits as well. Yeah, yeah. it's a... Far more so than movies. It's a very different format of writing. I I, I don't think it would work. That said, I do have a choice of, if we did do that, what I would pick, uh, which is season five of The West Wing, uh, which was the the season after Aaron Sorkin, who, in a rare move, was basically writing the whole uh, of the TV show, thanks to quite substantial cocaine use i believe um <laughs> uh, but uh yeah that is the season after he left and really uh to, to my it's it's generally regarded as the worst season of it i think six finds its way back to being good and seven is it goes out pretty well so that would be a good one to to try and correct it's got enough of an ongoing plot that you could kind of do yeah. season arcs at least for the characters and stuff like that but so that that would be my pick mm-hmm. if we did do that, but also we shouldn't do that. It's so much work. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, we have a question by Gmail. Somebody actually sent us an email. And to be fair, if anyone's going to send us an email, it's probably going to be this gentleman, since he, he likes to send us an email rather than going through Twitter or Discord or anything like that. Vincent Gain sent us an email. His question is, what are the most painful films to watch? And he elaborates slightly, because that is an interesting question. It often sounds like it would be the kids' film sequels. Son of the Mask might be an all-time low. It is. But you were also pretty damning of Despicable Me 3 and Spy Kids 3D. Are these, or any other type of sequel, the most painful to watch? And is the most painful sequel to watch the most enjoyable to fix? (laughs) Or do you hate them all equally? (laughs) Excellent question, Vincent. And yes. (laughs) Son of the Mask <laughs> is the worst film. And for me personally, I find bad kids movies even worse for for many different reasons. But like I feel like there's a much lower bar for a lot of the stuff you can get away with in kids' movies. You can have bad dialogue, you can have bad animation in something Studios like think that, Despicable yeah. Me Three, yeah. <laughs> They they will churn out animated bollocks on Netflix and Amazon Prime. There's there's like fucking TV series that spin off of How to Train Your Dragon that I will never watch in a million years even though I absolutely adore those films because it's low budget churned out bollocks that kids will watch because oh it's the dragon oh it's toothless oh it's whatever like they will just you know you can get away with that because especially really young kids will often watch stuff on repeat or you know they just want the the shapes and the sounds and <laughs> all that kind of stuff that they're familiar with but yeah, when things like Spy Kids 3D happen and Despicable Me 3, I don't like Despicable Me or Spy Kids to begin with, let alone when they get even worse. And we come, we've kind of veered away from the fixing bad sequels to good movies thing that we did before because they're not originally good movies, in my opinion. I don't like any of the Spy Kids films. I don't like any of the Despicable Me films. Fuck the minions. <laughs> But yeah, I think I think that they they particularly rub me up the wrong way because I feel like with with companies like Pixar and what Disney have been doing and what DreamWorks have done in some circumstances, 
there's some amazing stuff you can do for kids films and it really seems like you know we're in a golden age over the last sort of 20 years or so of this you know revolution with pixar and toy story and shrek and i hate to mention shrek but it is a cultural thing all that kind of stuff so yeah i would i would agree that the kids films rub me up the wrong way the worst probably i think the the problem with bad and and like a commonal a common thread that you can find in almost every bad kids film is that it treats kids like idiots Ah, and good kids films excellent point don't treat kids like idiots and when you're an adult watching it something that has been dumbed down for children is especially like (laughs) egregious um and so that does like kids films i think in general are the worst although i would say that the hardest film watching experience obviously it's son of the mask but but uh, more, <laughs> more recently, something that that I love that we have that. Well, obviously, obviously it's Son of the Mask. Apart from Son of the Apart Mask. from that, uh, Robert the Bruce, because it was so oh, dull. God, that is an yeah, excellent. Like, and and yeah. and to me, I would rather watch a bad film like in which some weird shit happens, like Spy Kids 3D, yeah, for example, than a a film in which just I am bored throughout because it makes it... So, literally yeah. nothing Yeah, happens. it makes it so hard to just get through <laughs> Eat it. Eat some soup and goes for it a walk. It feels like time two hours later. is moving through, like, molasses um, and you just constantly are going, yeah. like, oh, how long's left? Oh, my God, there's still an hour and 20 minutes of this motherfucker. <laughs> I remember doing that in Robert the Bruce. We're like, wow, we, I, guess we'll, I guess we'll, he'll get moving on and, you know, like he's still in the house with the kids. <laughs> an hour and 45 minutes left. I must be halfway through this film. I'm not even a quarter? What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, Matt, how about you? Well, actually, I, I have little to add to that mostly because um, I actually, in my sort of initial notes, didn't actually think about the show. I just thought in general. So I, I, I actually have two examples of films that I find genuinely, because I don't watch anything. You really will, exactly. folk, like listeners. Yeah. If you're not aware, Matt will watch anything, <laughs> and it upsets me sometimes. I watched an experimental yeah. art film that's 45 minutes long about birds on a bird feed, and the birds never arrive. I hate you so much. It was good though. Um, <laughs> my examples are, are actually not saying we covered on the show at all, but they tie in. Um, so one is actually just exactly what Tim was going to say. Uh, I remember. I've never walked out of a film in the cinema, ever. <laughs> I came so close with one movie, however. I was like, I can't. I'm, I can't. There will be nothing that will make this satisfying. This is bullshit. And that was Open Water 2, Adrift. <laughs> uh, it's like, oh, you know, Open Water? Yeah, but the two people who go on their little, like, you know, scuba diving thing and then the boat leaves or whatever, and they're, they're, they're drift at sea. Oh, it's quite traumatizing and terrifying. And yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a sequel. Oh, is there? Oh, okay. It, incidentally, you're probably on our fucking list. Um, and what's the difference? A bunch of yuppie assholes are on a boat and they're showing off and stuff. And they get drunk and jump off the boat, but there's no way to climb back on the boat. And I'm like, all boats have little <laughs> portholes that you can, they literally legally have to have them. So it's like, oh, but this one doesn't. They're too drunk or stupid to find them. So they literally, it's like, well, what if it was like open water? But the, the salvation was right there, man. What if it was right there? It's like, then you'd have two hours of nothing. <laughs> or maybe it's only an hour and a half, but it's so dull. And so Robert the Bruce is another example of that. It's just, it was so painful. I mean, I, I'd already seen mm. it because, again, I watched it and suggested, guys, we have to put this in. <laughs> and I'm so sorry because you have to watch it now. I was like, it's so fun. I remember just before we started recording that season, 
saying, I'm so sorry. Robert the Bruce is so fucking boring. You said it's that so, so much. Dull. As well. And even then, I don't think I've prepared the one word for you would describe Braveheart is boring. Mm. Like, it's, yeah. it, it's nonsensical and completely historically inaccurate and cheesy as <laughs> all hell. Though. But like, at least it's entertaining. Like, yeah. Robert the Bruce. And it was so weird because we talked about it again. I know we're retreading old ground here, but like, sure. it's a passion project. Yeah. They really <laughs> yeah. wanted to make it and do like a tribute to what Angus McFadden had done in the past and like bringing back the same actor and like paying respect yeah. to a Scottish hero and all this kind of shit. Fuck, it's so boring. <laughs> it's so... For those of you who haven't seen it, don't, yeah. first of all. No, please don't, please don't. Instead, go it's and flat. listen to our episode where I do a more Braveheart batshit yeah. version of that film that is nothing like the original. <laughs> I, I, I think just the biggest gap I had between the experience of watching the original and the pleasure I took in writing the the pitch for my version was oh, probably yeah. Smoking Aces. Uh, because <laughs> Assassin's Ball yeah. is an absolute terrible film. Um, and True. obviously I did my Love Actually inspired version. <laughs> I remember that. I remember yeah. that moment where he gave her that gun and I was like, oh my God, Tim, <laughs> what are you doing? You absolute um, genius slash maniac. <laughs> I do have an, uh, another one I'm very briefly going to talk about, um, which is, ties in basically to Son of the Mask. And that is a film that is aggressively oppressive. It is actively trying to make you uncomfortable. Now, obviously, Son of Justice the Mask didn't thing. mean to, but <laughs> possibly. Um, <laughs> my thing is uh, Alexei German's film, uh, Hard to Be a God. Um, brilliant fucking movie. It's like, you know, stupidly well reviewed and critiqued. And it's, it's, it's a magnificent swan song from a director who's, who's now passed away. And the novel is fantastic, but fuck me, it's so it's so hard to watch. It's it's three hours long. It's black and white. It's Russian. <laughs> it's miserable as fuck. It's a it's a. It sounds the, like the, your the, kind of film, Matt. I'm not gonna lie. Well, yeah, I got it on Blu-ray. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the the book is. I would actually love to do a, a different version of this book as an adaptation. It's about scientists um, who travel to another planet, but the planet is basically a sort of unevolved or less evolved, should we say, medieval kind of earth kind of and it's so and, and these scientists are like you know if we're caught being scientists they will kill us we have to blend in and control the town and report back and stuff our findings they're prime killing directive people shit. Who, that's what that is pretty much yeah but yeah. also interfering <laughs> yeah they, they, prime they, they take yeah, <laughs> yeah actual prime it's just yeah, sounded yeah. like star trek um, insurrection so far i gotta say <laughs> <laughs> which is why I matt loves it so much um so yeah and and they they obviously murder any intellectuals anything they can find like writing you get in the fucking bin because it's all like it's it's very anti-establishment anti-intellectualism and stuff but the movie actively tries to make you uncomfortable because it shows you humanity and says this is pretty fucking disgusting isn't it so there's so much shit and piss and vomiting and snot and even in black and white you're like I'm gonna be fucking sick oh, and the camera is so invasive and they have a moment where this guy is just talking to um uh this 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 guy is basically one of the scientists who's who's posing as this um this earl effective, this guy, lord in charge of everything. And he's just clapping dead chicken feet together. And then he almost like turns the camera and does it again. And then carries on. It's like, what am I watching? <laughs> it's so good, but it's such a, an oppressive viewing thing. It's like, I'm, I, I cannot recommend it. My wife was like about two hours in and said, I'm done. <laughs> and she just walked <laughs> off. Um, she, 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 you know, got a bit of a, it came back for the last 10, 20 minutes and said, oh, I, I, I can see, I can appreciate its worth. But it's an, it's, it's an endurance test. And I would very much say the Son of the Mask is the same thing. 
Except it wasn't intentionally trying to be a look at look how awful humanity is. It just happened to yeah. accidentally hold up a mirror and said, <laughs> Your society is trash. Next up, back to Discord from a long time listener of the show, Mr. Stuart Main. What would be your dream acting role? And he does expand a little bit here and we'll get into some uh, possible variations here as well. If you could play anyone, who would it be? Could be an existing role or someone that hasn't been on the big screen so far. I think we've talked about playing a role we've mentioned before in a previous listener feedback in terms of what's a, a role from history that you'd love to have played in one, like one of your favourite films or all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I kind of hate myself for saying this, and I think I've mentioned it before. Mine's Javert from Les Mis, because <laughs> I, I love that character. I find him fascinating. I find like his whole conflict really interesting, and he gets some great songs to sing. And I, 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 I tried to convince Alec to do the confrontation yes, on stage, yes. and he refused. And I pro- probably for the best. <laughs> right, a heavy oh, metal gig, nobody would get it. But the one we'd have Matt, yeah, no, I'd, I'd be clapping, I'd, just slow yeah. clapping like fucking awesome. Well, <laughs> just just the two of you being like, yeah, woo, yeah, represent, <laughs> yeah, just cheering. And on. I'm Jack Chambers, <laughs> <laughs> Jack Chambers, exactly, exactly. Um, so yeah, that I think we have talked about this before, maybe in a in a previous episode. I can't quite remember, but yeah, that that's mine in terms of like. I love to have maybe in a different life i would have been an actor and been on the stage and played javert how about you guys i uh i was thinking about this and i was like oh what 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 do i think i'd be suited well to um that 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 sort of doesn't doesn't have a, someone already occupying the role kind of thing and i'll shove russell Crowe. Yeah. <laughs> i done. um there's there's been several adaptations of uh the discworld books in the past oh here we go tim here we go but i don't i don't think any of them have been quite perfect um some of them like uh, there's there's some been some decent ones in the uk done by sky but i think the, the budget's been a little bit limited for those there's this new watch show that looks like absolute trash um where it's like oh yeah it's gonna be like weird like lean into the steampunk and also yeah it that looks like absolute garbage i think i would work quite well either as one of the the wizards of the unseen university uh possibly honda stibbons who is this kind of he's the <laughs> the one of the younger members uh who is sort of essentially a uh wizard as computer programmer slash slightly harried university lecturer um which I think I would <laughs> I would fit into that role, or alternatively, uh, Red Shoe, who is a member of the Watch, who is a zombie and is an unre- undead rights activist. And I think <laughs> I think either of those I, I I would fit into, and that's a that's a series that I have a lot of affection for, and I would love to see really good. I I don't know whether a series of films or like a TV series would would work best, depending on which particular books you're working with and stuff like that. But I, I would love to see a really, really good adaptation of, of the Discworld books. And if I could have a little role in there, that would be be lovely. Nice little treat. Matthew. Yeah, I, I remember we have talked about this because I ended up saying Hannibal Chow in, in Pacific Rim. And I'm like, yes. what? <laughs> um, You've got a wacky moustache. You'd fit right in. It was like, that's so specific. It's like, yeah. And it's like, or, or something else. I think it might be in a Hellboy movie somewhere. So, so you want to be either replacing 
Del, uh, uh, Ron, Ron Perlman in a Del Toro film, or alternatively, starring alongside him. And I said, yes. <laughs> but I do have another answer. Um, I would ultimately... Um, this is very specific and a very time-sensitive one. I'd have to get it... Like, that'd have to be on me like, right now. Uh, or, or contact me two years ago. Um, I would like to... I don't know if there's going to be one, but I would like there to be a, a Final Fantasy 16 tie-in movie. And I'd like them to ask me to do one of the voice roles. <laughs> That's the upcoming uh, Final Upcoming Fantasy, new Final Fantasy game. Way, yeah. Maybe the end of this of year, maybe next year. Bollocks the yeah. end of this year. No chance. <laughs> That's what they're current in this in this current timeline. That's what they're predicting, apparently. Yeah, um, I don't believe them. Just because I don't have to worry about doing too many accents, there I can just be you know very English accents because I think it's more sensible. You, that you basically look like a character from Final Fantasy fifteen, anyway, right? Tr- well, F- Final Fantasy VII's mayor. Uh, oh, sorry, it's of- seven. It's seven remake, isn't it? Yeah, it's the mayor. Yeah, and it's like that. It's eerily like me in maybe a couple <laughs> of years time slash fifty <laughs> years time. Um, but um, e- either that, or I'm not gonna lie, I'm gonna. I would Okay, so so this is a this is a tricky one because it's it goes from something like it's very small and like, eh, maybe you never know how that would work, you know, in, in, in that way. And then you're gonna go, well fuck off, man, that's not gonna happen. I would like to do a, an Android character in an MCU movie. Ooh. <laughs> where I do a mocap not not a Paul Bettany, a James Spader. Mm. I would like to do an Ultron style mocap, although I'd be like but guys, you're not going to animate the face, right? It's going to be a standard, <laughs> clear robot fucking face, right? No, no, you're no, not no, going to give him robot. lips. As we've learned from the Transformers franchise, robots have lips. This is what we yeah, need. Almost, yeah. almost they uh, need eyebrows and lips. Uh, an Alan Tudyk in Rogue One. Tim, that is exactly yeah. it. That's do, you, exactly do you have a robot right in mind? I don't, actually. I, I had a long think about it, and I, I know a few robots in the universe. I know a few um, robots. I like, oh, we got Ultron and Zola and stuff. I've obviously kind of already done, and... and and the destroyer or anything that's already been done, but I couldn't think of anyone specific. I was like, oh yeah, that would fit me specifically. Um, pff, Galactus would be too big. Uh, <laughs> no, nobody wants like, who's going to play Galactus? Oh, it's Matt Stockton. <laughs> In the same way, it's like, oh, who's going to be playing Sinestro? Mm, no, not him. I mean, I'd love to play that role. I would love to do Sinestro in a, in a DC film. The problem is there are so many better actors out there who could do a better job than me. I wouldn't want to rob them of that standing. I want to be involved. And most importantly, I want to direct I'm yeah. a director. Yeah, wanna... the real question for you is what you want to direct, that's, I suppose, isn't it? That's yeah. a very different Maybe question. Maybe that'll be but... a question in the future, Matthew. Who knows? Who knows? I love so the idea of doing answer. voice acting because I've done a bit of voice acting and voiceover myself. So I, yeah. uh, that's the thing I would realistically be aiming for. I was like, I'm going to need to be on camera. Like, <laughs> I'm on camera for a, you know, Super Happy Kill Term and a couple of other things. And <laughs> that That's fine. That's enough for me. But being behind the microphone and being able to do silly voices and, and accents and, and really kind of project yourself into a character that then can look nothing like you and be a completely yeah, different yeah, yeah. size, height, species, race, gender, whatever it is, like yeah. all this different stuff. The, the, the freeing ability of being a voice actor is always really interesting. <laughs> essentially, yeah. It comes from my love of DMing and doing silly voices, essentially. What yeah. was the recent thing someone said you feedback that you added to your Twitter profile, was it? Um, voiceover. They just called me voiceover guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I did a did a recent voiceover for a company and they were um I, I was speaking to one of the marketing people and they shared out to the rest of the team and then they were like Oh yeah, this this project's come really well together. Really like voiceover guy. I was like, oh, yes, that's my title now. So. 
voiceover guy it is. Funnily enough, one of the things when we were thinking about this, and I was like, oh, what, what, you know, adaptations I'd like to see or whatever that that I could maybe find a role for myself in. One of the ones I, I thought about, and 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 a character that I've thought about uh, cosplaying in the past potentially, uh, is Duck Newton from the Amnesty arc of the Adventure Zone. Um, wow. Jesus. Who I'm like, oh yeah, I, I physically like that could that could work. But the problem is, is that like that he's already voiced by a famous podcaster. You know, I I can't do a West Virginia accent. They would just they just get Justin McElroy to do it because he's the character who played that. You know, like doesn't matter if it's animated or whatever. Like no, they just get the guy who does the voice for that character to to be it. So uh, yeah, yeah. But I could be I could be like his English uh, equivalent maybe. <laughs> Mallard exactly. <Butler>. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh no, I think about it. I want to be Don Von Doom. No. See again. It's again. It's and I was like, who's who's Doctor Doctor Doom? This prick. Mm. Nah. Nah. It's a guy from London. (laughs) (laughs) They'd be alright with that. Kebble was fine, except he was in a bad film. Yeah, that's true. So, on to the last question, and it's a big one. It's got multi parts as well as a returning segment, ladies and gentlemen. We'll wrap things up with Mike Salvia, a.k.a. Mortrager, Mortrager, however the fuck you pronounce his name on Discord. Mortrager. Mortrager. Yeah, exactly. A couple of questions, and then we'll get on to the now-beloved segment. I'll put it that way. What kids' movie hit harder than you expected? Personally, Inside Out's big sacrifice hit hard, but was expected for a movie like that anyway. Meanwhile, Wreck-It Ralph's attempt at sacrifice while saying his mantra was a punch in the gut, and I love that movie partly because of that. The edges of the VHS of uh, the Pagemaster were here. <laughs> <laughs> I like a lot of kids' movies do this kind of stuff, like talking about Baymax. We, mm. we brought up Baymax recently in the AI thing. Like, sure, that sacrifice there is really powerful, believable, and I think they do that a lot. But the one that really sticks out for me, and I've seen it kind of trolled and parodied on Twitter, which was pretty hilarious, is I legit thought they were gonna kill the toys in Toy Story Three. That was when uh... when they're when they're in when they're in that thing and they're yeah. sliding down and they're getting closer and closer to incineration. And I don't know if you guys have seen the Twitter video where the guy edited it. So yeah, it just, yes. it just <laughs> they slide down. It's like everybody hold hands. If we can't go out together, we'll always have each other. And then it just fades to black. Yeah. <laughs> just this Toy Story three. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a friend in me. That that that, that was my pick too because I I knew that Toy Story three was gonna hit me, but I didn't expect it to hit me as hard. And like you say, that yeah. it, it yeah. hit me tw- it, it, that moment where, and it's done so masterfully because it holds on that moment of tension and dread, and really just a few beats longer than than any other kids' film would have the balls to do. Like if it was DreamWorks, like the the mm. claw would have come in maybe like ten seconds earlier, and it's those ten seconds where you're just <laughs> like, "Holy shit, are they actually?" Oh my god! No, they can't be. They, oh my god! They're gonna do it. Uh, and also the the bit where um it's Andy giving the toys away at the end makes me just completely oh, yeah. dissolve yeah. into a big pile of blubbery tears. Um, because yeah, yeah. Um, I I didn't realize how much those films were. Go- uh, even though I went in knowing like, oh, Pixar is very good at, at tweaking the heartstrings. Like, yeah, that it, it, watching that in the cinema was just like, oh, so beautiful. 
Matt, how about you? Mine is from 1999. Uh, I know, I know what this one's going to be. Oh. The Phantom Menace. <laughs> Phantom Menace. No, it's not Phantom Menace. Although it was six months after Phantom Menace. Um, so as a kid growing up, there was a book called The Iron Man. Uh, not Tony Stark, Iron Man, different Iron Man, written by Ted Hughes. I fucking hated it. I fucking hated it now. Um, I don't like it. Um, I don't know why. The cover is this old black and white thing. It looks very 80s and I've never particularly been fond of it. Uh, at, at the time, at least. And it was just like this gormless looking burk of a, of a robot. And I was like, this looks like shit. And I read, the, I was forced to read the book as a child and thought, this is shit it's from the 60s. I hate this. Um, <laughs> and they're like, oh, they're doing a film version. Oh, fucking <laughs> shit. Um, and I went along and watched it at the age of, what, 15 at the time? And it broke me. <laughs> <laughs> it was crushing. It's beautiful. I fucking love it. I, even now, I, I have to do the Superman. Like, oh, no, 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 God, no. And it's, it's so stupid because, as Jack said, it's like, well, which, one, which one caught you off guard? None of them should catch you off guard. You're going to see a Disney film or a Pixar film or a Miyazaki movie. Guess what the fuck is going to happen? Bad shit. And it's going to be touching and blunt. And as adults, we have to hide that usually in cynicism or in, in complex plot developments. But for children, it's like, make it so they can un fucking understand empathy because they're un empathize with anyone, the little rats. No offense if you have children. And I, <laughs> but it's more the idea that, you know, teaching a child empathy is really hard. It's like, no, no, no. I know we've been, this whole universe has been centered around you because I've made it that way because I've been looking and keeping you alive. But there are other people, you know, you little bastard. And eventually, you know, that's how, how do you do it? You tend to be with, like, with stories and tell, you wouldn't like that if you were taken away, would you? No, it'd be quite sad. Yeah. So put the fucking dish on the <laughs> side, for God's sake. Anyway, um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's the nature of very simple storytelling, but it's actually more complex than it needs to be. It's very well done. It's a throwback to 1950s sort of paranoia and stuff. Um, we, we almost touched on it up, or we did it briefly in our, in our AI episode. And, um, it's it's a fantastic movie. It's, again, it's like, oh wait, what's that crushing, beautiful moment that makes you cry? Uh, who's who, who's uh, who's delivering that uh, that line? Vincent Diesel. <laughs> and it's like, oh yeah, of course it fucking is. Um, I love the Iron Giant. I still think it's a fantastic movie. That's it, that's another underrated movie in the sense that it is made made no money at the box office. Yeah, it made mm. no money. Um, critically speaking, though, I'm pretty sure it's like praised across the yeah. board. Oh, Everyone yeah. loves Universal it. Universally acclaimed, I think. Yeah. It? So and most yeah, importantly. Featured in Ready Player One. Oh fucking! I hate you, Jack. Let's, let's, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Ready Player One can manage to Jesus ruin Christ. everything you love. <laughs> what made me cry? Ready Player One. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, Iron Giant is one that caught me off guard because again, at the time, I was fifteen years old and thought I'm a teenager. I'm quite Larry. Oh, yeah, but I'm seeing this kids' movie because it won't be right. <laughs> like, I'm glad it's dark in here because I'm crying. <laughs> <laughs> Next one from Mike. What is a movie that you hate because of how badly it did something that you do, such as your job or your hobbies or passions or whatever it is? Mike himself says, I am slash was a submariner and I hate Crimson Tide because of how bad it gets submarines, both technically and socially. And in contrast, Down Periscope does a much better job. <laughs> and there is an obvious answer for me that kind of plays into it and I'm sure some listeners know, you guys know, I have a degree in astrophysics. And I, I love science, I love physics, I love astrophysics, astronomy, all that kind of stuff. And a film that was getting it so right until it didn't, and don't like this film, and I know loads of people do, is Interstellar. Because the black holes and stuff are incredible. They're some of the 
at the time they were some of the most accurately modelled black holes ever. Not in not in film for anything. They were mm, legit yeah. actual possibly scientifically accurate at the time of making that film versions of black holes. And that is fascinating to me. And all the time dilation stuff and then they just completely misuse time dilation and then Matthew McConaughey travels through a bookcase be- through six dimensions <laughs> because he loves his daughter and I wanted that movie to go in the bin. Because <laughs> it, ha- it was doing so much right and then it's like, oh, you guys have been down on the planet for 37 years or whatever it is. Like, how are you not dead or insane? Yeah. <laughs> Why are you just like, oh, well, you know, it's been 30 years, whatever. I've been really hungry for a bit, yeah. but I don't know, I got pretty lonely. Like, I think you'd be I just a bit, bit more, quiet. I think you'd be a bit more fucked up than that. And he's just like, yeah, come back on board. Have you seen the film Sunshine? That's yeah. how you'd be. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I love Sunshine. Press ups in front of the sun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, Interstellar is my pick for it. It mm, nearly it got so much right and then just veered off in a totally different direction, which I didn't want it to. Tim, how about you? There's not. Well, I have I have a couple of different choices. I used to do work in uh, vaguely related to the advertising industry, and there's not a specific film, but I think that there is still this perception in Hollywood that ad- working in advertising is like Mad Men still. Um, and it's 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 yeah. creative people doing these Definitely. like pitches and and coming up with these concepts, which is an element of it. But like adver- and again, this is partially for like storytelling purposes and stuff like that. But like no, like advertising now is a lot more dull and a lot more to do with like crunching numbers on stuff, which obviously isn't very cinematic and and stuff like that. Um, but there's not a specific film where I'm like, ah, you've got it so fucking wrong because. Uh, but I think that's just a general perception of an industry amongst, you know, kind of uh, filmmakers and screenwriters and stuff like that. The other one that, that that came to mind isn't really a film that gets something like it, it's not a film where it's like, oh, these technical details are wrong. But um, having having become more and more of a Dungeons and Dragons player, which I wasn't when I first saw the terrible 2000s film, but like <laughs> knowing how, ri- like the fact that they made a Dungeons and Dragons film and didn't use any of the existing lore really from Dungeons and Dragons and decided to make up their own. It's like, of which there is of, tons, yeah, by it's the like, way. Multiple multiverse dimensions and shit, and you could do Dark Sun, you could do Forgotten Realms, you could do Greyhawk. Yeah, like, there's so much options. Oh my god! And it's god. like, wow, you like that? Surely that's the whole point of doing a Dungeons and Dragons film is to make use of the intellectual property that you you know. The, uh, anyway, so that that is more of a a terrible adaptation that uh, that I'm gutted about and and a case where the screenwriter did a bad job <laughs> rather than uh people portraying it in the film but that i i wanted to give a throw out to that a, a shout out to that because um god what a, what a trash film matthew <sighs> really had problems with this one because my day job is not something that's been filmed it's it's payroll <laughs> for a hospital that's not a, that's not a thing you see and just like wolf of wall street right matt <laughs> And All the cocaine office and jobs stuff. in general, you know, most of the time it's like, like when you set something in a school, it's like lessons are like 
three seconds before the bell goes and then you leave and it's all in the in the corridors and the hallways and it's like everything's outside get away from the the, the office or the or the school as fast as possible um the other side of things is my filmmaking stuff and it's like filmmakers movies about filmmaking tend to be all right because they're filmmakers <laughs> and it only appeals to filmmakers most of the time so i ended up going with two examples that are odd uh the first is i've been in a lot of fights <laughs> and uh, film fights fuck me off so much and the thing that fucks me off most is like the the the, the writing transition of getting knocked out mm. uh night and day does it a lot and um uh, that's night with a k with uh, cameron diaz and tom cruise and it's the idea like oh my god we've got to get him to the next scene Doosh, back of a butt of a gun goes to black and he wakes up or the character wakes up and like you know tied to a chair it's like you do realize that could fucking kill someone right people don't get knocked out first they have a concussion yeah. like yeah when you were knocked out you get a concussion that is part of a concussion yeah you just come to and go oh you'll never get me to talk oh fuck you that's all I, up, like, and the is, I can't see out of my left eye like yeah you've gone blind yes. yeah they, exactly. they disconnected your retina yeah. because they hit you in the back of the head yeah, if you hit your skull with a, a solid metal thing, there's a chance you're not getting fucking yeah. up again. Yeah. Um, and it, it's it's the lazy writing stuff that I don't like, that kind of thing. Uh, the other side of it is... I was going to wear sex scenes. Because um, I hate <laughs> ah, sex scenes Ah, your other so hobby. <laughs> yeah, my other thing. Fighting and um, fucking the mass dog. <laughs> and it's the idea that, you know, it's like, oh, we've just had this passionate love. I'll just sort of slide next to you and breathe my morning breath on you while you pull the covers up above your tits <laughs> while it's you're like, still wearing your, both of you are somehow still wearing your pajamas yeah. both of, yes exactly you, it's, it's like ah oh, i've i a, a a a an aroused man i'm going to see this woman taking off her shirt the first thing i'm going to do is make sure you keep the bra on and i'll place my face in your sternum <laughs> i don't want to touch your tits just the sternum i'm like i'm not saying people don't do that i'm saying <laughs> This is a film. And I'm not saying it needs to be certain like, it's like well, the most realistic fight sequence of the most realistic bruises and blood and it's like, yeah. But this isn't. And this one's like, like sex scenes in films like you can't do them well, so don't do them. They don't really cement things. Even in like the Terminator, where it's like you have to show that, you know, he, she's being impregnated. It's like, yeah. And even this feels like a fucking shit music video. Um the only other thing I could come up with was uh, representation of any culture. And it was the idea of like a recent example from from a couple of months ago basically uh was wild mountain time by by john fucking john patrick shanley who the guy did doubt which i fucking adore doubt is an ma amazing made film um wild mountain time is jamie dornan emily blunt christopher walken john ham in one of those classic things it got absolutely lambasted when it was the trailer came out and it was like oh the guy who did moonstruck is like the film was like, oh great set in ireland oh great about a man who can't commit because he's just a farmer and he's practicing his speech on the cows. Jesus Christ. And there's this wonderful girl played by Emily Blunt. And she's like, oh, would you just ask me out? I can't take it anymore. And you know what? Your cousin from New York is coming over. Oh, New York? <laughs> when they got running water and, and toilets in the houses? <laughs> They're fucking now. Oh, I can never compete with that. I'm just a sensible man of the fields. Christ. It's like, what is this? I mean, I personally... As a London Irish person. As I was, I was about is... to say, Matt has Irish heritage, ladies and gentlemen, just in case Correct. it weren't clear. Yes. I, I am somebody of uh, who has both citizenship of Ireland and, and, and England, well, Britain, technically, um, and grew up in, in London with lots of family in, in Sligo, West Ireland, and things like that. And the point I'm trying to get to is the island of my history, the island of my memory, the island of my parents doesn't exist anymore. That's not a thing. 
Um, there are obviously I go over there and there are still things that are still there. People still say that's gas all the time. <laughs> and there are just, you know, there are little quirks and things. Oh yeah, well that's still a fucking thing. But this whole view of what Ireland is by way of what Americans think it is, because they went to Dublin once and went into Carol's and bought all the stuff. Um, they always, a life-changing experience going back to the mother country and uh yeah i felt a real connection with uh don lauger hair <laughs> do you mean don leary yeah that place is great <laughs> and it's not it's it's you know nothing wrong with that sort of thing it's just like when it's presented on film it's like fuck me this is painful it's again it's the same thing like um we're gonna have to go to london it's like that is <laughs> not london i don't know where the fuck you filmed this but it ain't london so that was my that was my thing. It's not, it's not about necessarily my hobbies or pursuits and things because they've represented the film quite a lot. It was more about bits of me. I'm like, Jesus Christ. That has that has made me think of, and this is a very minor gripe, but it's something that every time it happens, it sticks out to me. Oh yeah. Um, is people is especially bad when it's people like European characters or you know British characters mm. or whatever you know. But it's also it's it's bad even when it's Americans visiting, say, London or, or whatever, or any European city, when they talk in about things in terms of blocks. And oh, it happened yeah. recently yeah. in the Snyder Cut. And uh, the guy who's trying to blow up uh, the old Bailey is like, it'll destroy everything within two blocks. And I'm like, no British person would ever say that unless they were in Milton Keynes, the one place in Britain <laughs> that's laid out on a grid. I was going to say, our cities aren't laid out like American yeah. cities. No. It's just a bunch of random shit, yeah. basically. Yeah. If I was saying, like, <laughs> again, I don't even know. If someone's saying, like, we're going to detonate a thing that's going to like, take out a whole area. I don't know. I'm, someone might say, the whole borough. That yeah. might be the thing that stands <laughs> well, you, you out. Two you'd say something like, oh, it'll kill everyone within half a mile or something like that. Like, yeah, that, you'd say with yeah. a two-mile radius. And I know radius. it's trying to make it makes sense for Americans, but Americans know what miles are as well. Like, you can you can say that, and <laughs> yeah. that will give them a sense. Yeah, if you start saying kilometres, that's when you confuse the yeah. end. It's, it's when you give them an inch and they take a mile to to, to, yeah. to, to the measurements thing. Um, that's because they, they, it was like it's filmed. It was filmed in Britain, and there's a British man saying it. You should just turn the camera and say, Zach, you know we don't yeah. say this, right? Oh, no, just carry on. Okay, <laughs> fine. And if you don't sort of stand up for these things, in the same way that the reverse is true, which was the um, Fifty Shades of Grey books, about a British person, so many Britishisms, uh, colloquialisms, and then it's like Americans don't say or do it. What the yeah. fuck are you talking? Have you been to America? And it ha so it happens all over the place. A Bollywood film that's set in America, I can't remember the name of it. It's, it's like, wow, <laughs> this is not what America is. Maybe what America thinks it projects is like in a Miley Cyrus music video sort of thing. It's like, I guess that's how they <laughs> sort of look. But it's to a party you, but... in the USA, <laughs> yeah, that it's kind all, of like it's all just waving flags and and pickup yeah. trucks, yeah, right? And cowboys and pickups and and gangsters i mean but in, the in point certain is that, areas it is, i guess yeah <laughs> but the, the the weird thing is that if you go too far with it you end up with the live action 101 dalmatians with glenn close which is a good film i actually enjoy that movie i don't know what the fucking cruella movies mean like um she can't be that great because she's still going to try and skin some yeah. dogs <laughs> but the the idea that glenn close is lost in the countryside and in, in britain and she finds herself in a farm with molasses which i don't think we've ever really made yeah. or whatever so I, I remember as a kid i was like maybe like 30 12 13 when this film came out i was like i don't want mol molasses i don't know what that is and then she was being like lampooned and pulled in the trap 
by raccoons, <laughs> which are not native to this island, ladies and gentlemen. I don't think they're native to this continent. Yeah. No, and it was the no. fact that, and it's like, well, they were originally in the script, they were badgers, but the American audience wouldn't know what a badger was. And I'm like, yeah. fuck off. <laughs> it's like so angry. <laughs> so it's like the whole, like, well, we need to make sure the Americans know that they are primary demographic. It's like, maybe don't set it yeah. in England then, if that's your fucking problem. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. Yeah. On to Mike's next question. Do made-for-TV movies count? Could we ever see you fix something like Descendants 3 and give us a more satisfying ending? And we have kind of a collective answer for this. This is more of a kind of question for the show, I guess. Is, yeah, kind of. We've done straight-to-DVD stuff, and now mm. the lines are being blurred with all the streaming stuff. The like stuff that should have come out in cinemas is now on streaming services. So is that? straight to tv does that count is that straight to streaming is that a thing anymore is that even a relevant phrase in 2021 you did the crouching tiger hidden dragon uh sequel which was that a netflix, netflix original. original exactly yeah 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 so yeah 10 city blocks i guess <laughs> yeah i think increasingly the the lines between tv and film are being blurred and like like you say jack and yeah i think the the question is like and there's a lot of like direct to DVD sequels that we a have done, you know, the Disney stuff, and and there's more. The Disney on stuff the way. is a perfect example. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think there's, I doubt there's probably not that many TV movies that started out on TV that have then got sequels that are well known enough for us to cover. I think you know we might there we're much more likely to have TV sequels to cinematically released films um just in terms of like people knowing enough what we're talking about but yeah i think i think it's you know and i i the descendants films are ones that i have a weird morbid curiosity about i haven't watched any of them but i'm like that could no, potentially be interesting and, and disney of course you have Matt. disney live action like films of those type tend to be a very mixed bag so yeah i find the descendants concept much more interesting than the live action let's do a maleficent film let's do a fucking cruella film it's like no go fucking young avengers with it i love that idea. yeah it's great uh the problem was they made it for tv as it were or made it's like it should have been a big bombastic thing and less well by disney channel uh but that's that's for another day in short yes <laughs> so let's wrap things up shall we with the return of green light rewrite just shite the 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 game that was invented on our discord and fine-tuned by mike salvia <laughs> he's got a few suggestions and i've thrown a few interseason stuff in there to tie it back into what we've been doing recently just and we, we should we should explain this for people who perhaps haven't heard of it before so green light is leave that film just as it is it's perfect or it's good enough as is Rewrite is... Might be the best of a bad bunch in certain sense. Rewrite is... There's something there, but it needs it needs considerable work to... It essentially needs sequelizing um, to make it work. And then Just Shite is... No, just stick that in the bin. It should never have happened. Chuck it in the bin. Yeah. yeah. I, haven't, I haven't seen any of these yet, so I'm quite curious. So, number one, and Mike has done a very clever thing of tying them together with a unifying theme. So this is... <laughs> oh. Peak Will Ferrell movies. Anchorman, Step oh. <laughs> Step Brothers, or Talladega Nights. I feel like I've already covered this. Yeah. Matt, <laughs> guess straight over to you. Uh, Greenlight, Talladega Nights, fucking great. Rewrite, 
the Anchorman's good. It's not mm. bad. It's it's good. But let's say rewrite because it's safer and Step Brothers should shut. What I should say is get rid of Anchorman, rewrite Step Brothers because it could do something with a rewrite. But the truth is, I don't want to get rid of Anchorman because it's still entertaining. So yeah, green light, Tyler Dagger Knights, rewrite Anchorman, just shite. Step Brothers. Nice. I've not seen Tyler Dagger Knights, so I'm I'm just gonna just shite Tyler Dagger Knights. I don't like Will Ferrell in general, so I kind of struggle with a lot of his movies. I thought Step Brothers was okay. I don't particularly like John C. Riley in that film either. I think they play off each other in a very annoying, grating way to me, rather than an entertaining way. So I would rewrite and re probably recast Step Brothers, and I'll keep Anchorman because I like the first Anchorman. Step Brothers for me is a is a the, the the Nando's of movies where I'm like it's fine, but I don't understand why some people just go absolutely people fucking love that fuck movie. wild for it. Uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I I would I would probably bin Step Brothers. I would rewrite Talladega Nights and keep Anchorman just as it is. Although the sequel can get in the nice. fucking bin. Oh, damn right, Jesus, that's terrible. It's on the list. It's, it's on, on the list. list. Don't worry. Next up is failed anime-ish adaptations. We have Dragon Ball Evolution, Death Note, the US Netflix version, and M Night Shyamalan's Avatar: The Last. Airbender. This one's a lot easier for me. Can I just just shite, just shite, just shite <laughs> <laughs> and bin all three of them because they're all terrible. Go on, Matt. This one is a green light Death Note. The US version isn't good, but it was an interesting. It did something different it's, as we covered. It's the best of the three episode. by a long fucking Definitely. way. Rewrite uh, Avatar: The Last Airbender. There's so much in there because so many fucking movies are Avatar: <laughs> The Last Airbender. Fucking. I'm not going to start spoiling movies, but yeah, um, and that, that that's such a great universe to build on. And Dragon Ball, I don't think there should be a, a live action Dragon Ball. Leave it alone. Don't. I, it's not, I completely yeah, agree. C- consensus there. Agree. I think. There I think go. the thing with the <laughs> with the, the the Netflix Death Note is that it doesn't it doesn't sell the original, and also that series was never going to work as a film series i don't think because it because it's so suited to the format that it's originally in whereas avatar and avatar you can see the potential for turning that into a series of films a dragon ball Mm. like if you're gonna do that you're gonna really reformat it to work as a film um and definitely not with fucking atrocity that they did no definitely not next up we have classic jim carrey movies we have liar liar versus ace ventura versus the mask and i think it's another one that's easy i think it's easy as well i'm rewriting the mask because i want to redo the mask in a modern era i think that that, um, because i think the mask has a lot of has a lot of interesting things to do i'll green light ace ventura because i enjoyed it as a kid but i know it's problematic as fuck so i'll just leave that where it is and i don't remember much about liar liar i'm not even sure if i've seen it all the way through so that's going in the bin Nice and simple for me. Basically, I want to do a mask <laughs> film. That's my excuse. Yeah, I it's actually not, think a mask film is good. I think the mask is the best of the three by a long shot, but it's the one I want to write. So <laughs> I'm being selfish uh, in that. See, I'd, okay. I'd greenlight the mask because I think it's it's pretty much fine as is. I think that's a really good film. Yeah, I would mm. rewrite Ace Ventura because I think it has potential, but let's get rid of the horrible transphobia in it. Uh, and yeah. Liar Liar is fine it's him going more family friendly it's got some fun moments but it's not good enough to sustain yeah it, that that can just get in the bin 
all different results then, because I'm going to say keep the mask exactly as it is, the green light that one. I agree with Tim. It's, it's a sort of 90s classic. Go with that. Fine. Rewrite Liar Liar. Just make it a bit punchier, a bit better, mm. less eh, uh, forgettable in places. But the concept's good enough. And the performance is quite funny. The whole, you know, this pen is poor. And, and get rid of Ice Ventura. I, I don't care. Interesting. Fair enough. Yeah. I, as much as I'm like, I liked it as a kid and the whole like, like it's so horribly oppressively fucking annoying when you're it, an adult. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. And last one from Mike before we get into some interseason little tie-ins. Julia Stiles and Shakespeare. <laughs> we have <laughs> Hamlet from 2000. We have O. And of course we have 10 Things I Hate About You. <sighs> I've not seen O for the record. so I have not seen O yeah. or Hamlet. But I can tell you that fucking ah. 10 Things I Hate About You is getting greenlit because that is a That's great a green light film. film right there. Um, <laughs> Agreed. I would Agreed. R- probably rewrite O because I like the idea of trying to do Othello in high school. I think it works because yeah. like yeah, the characters in it are all fucking... Over the over top, the top. Uh, and <laughs> yeah. I would boot Hamlet just because I don't particularly like Hamlet as a play, and I don't. It, it's like Ethan Hawke is a filmmaker version of Hamlet, and I I don't think that the, my gut says no to that one, even though I haven't seen it. I will agree with you, Tim. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually, yeah, I actually agree. Uh, Ten yeah. things I heard about you. Um, keep it perfect as it is. O is great. A little bit of a rebite wouldn't hurt it, but just make it a bit more prominent. But it's not a bad film at all. Hamlet, I do don't mind the 2000 Hamlet. The only thing is, we've got enough fucking Hamlets. There are lots of them. <laughs> uh, there's not enough Othellos and Taming of the Shrews and things. That's so you, I, I have enough Hamlet going around that I don't like missing out or anything. So, yeah. And last three. Time back into our AI episode, as suggested by Mike Salvia, funnily enough. Ex Machina versus Blade Runner versus her. Fuck you. I did this one on purpose <laughs> because all three of them are great and difficult. I will. Oh, it's like two of my favorite films. Like, absolute favorite from two of my picks from that episode. I did this to torture myself, basically. It's, it's, it's flagellation. Um, yeah, but it's also masochism as well as sadism. So, because, like, yeah. like, masochism for yourself, but also sadism on us as well. It's like, true, I must share true. this pain. I will. I will not explain myself. I will greenlight X Mac and a rewrite Blade Runner and just shite her. Not, not. Here's said. the thing. I do the same. Oh, because X Mac and a is an amazing film. Blade Runner already got rewrote fucking six times. Technically, I'll rewrite uh, it into and, the final cut. <laughs> yeah, I must say I, I I love her as a film. I mentioned it earlier. I really enjoy it how it's presented and things. It doesn't change the world. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's. It's it's a good and enjoyable experience as a film and an interesting discussion point. But if it didn't exist, it's so it's the most disposable and it's made the least impact, like you say, on the world at large. Yeah, I think Blade yeah. Runner, like as great as it is, like you say, there's been so many different versions of it. It could do with tightening up. Hey, let's make the uh, sex scene between Harrison Ford and Rachel a little bit less rapey. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, yeah. things like that. So yeah, I, I would agree with your choices there jack next up tying into the magic in film episode we have the prestige versus now you see me versus the illusionist this one's easy this is fine i think this is easy as well green light prestige just shite now you see me rewrite the illusionist boom we're done i have a controversial <laughs> alternate take 
Oh, no, you Tim, be- you, you don't. Moving you, on. You better not be greenlighting now. You see, I am. Tim, I, don't you, Tim? Do. You love to dance. You need to. I am. <laughs> I am greenlighting the prestige. Thank God. I am just shiting the illusionist, even though I don't think it's a bad film. Okay. But yep. I think I think the potential exists for now. You I see, remember me you saying this on the episode to yeah, be yeah, a good yeah. film. I just don't. The think... magicians doing a heist idea is exactly so cool. like there's potential there. <laughs> they just made a bad film of it. I get your logic, but yeah, the, I, uh, so... I almost saw that one coming. <laughs> <laughs> and last for this week's episode, the final instalment of Greenlight Rewrite, just shite. American Psycho versus Count of Monte Cristo versus Wonder Boys, tying back into our novel to film adaptations episode mm. early on. Because the they're all technically rewrites. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they're all each pick from each of us. Yeah. So that's an interesting I'm, I'm, one. As I'm well. happy to go first on this one. Go for it, Matt. Greenlight Count of Monte Cristo. I gave my reasons why in previous <laughs> episodes. Yep. I think it's a really interesting alternate version of the book and streamlines things very well. Rewrite Wonder Boys. Great film. I think you can improve that. Just show American Psycho because as much as I think American Psycho is really good as an, as, as a film in 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 in, its, in ways and memes now, my God, it's got a watermark. <laughs> um, I I don't think it does everything it could do, and I don't think it is is as big cultural as it needs to be. I don't I don't know I don't know. I I agree. Even though I mentioned American Psycho on that episode, I think that film yeah. has a lot of problems and yeah coming yeah. from where it came yeah. from with the book and, and stuff Lito as i mentioned it. jared leto <laughs> yeah the, the more jared leto performances <laughs> we can erase from history the better yeah i think i would yeah i would be in america's time not because i think it's a bad film necessarily but because i would like brett easton ellis to have less money um than, <laughs> and be that. considered less of a, a an important person to to care about his opinions yeah. but put it this way in a world with the three films which one doesn't exist i'm more upset about Strange American Psycho isn't yeah. one of them. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm tempted to say rewrite Monte Cristo, not because I think it's mm. a bad adaptation. I, I really like that film. But do more with it. I'd also kind of... I'd, I'd, like to, I'd like to see someone else tackle it, basically. I'd like to see... I'd like to see sure. I'd, yeah, I'd like to see Matt Stockton's version of The Count of Monte Cristo, like... Tim, in, I would in love 2024, to mm. and I think because it did such a good job, there's there's not currently a need to like come along and try and do another yeah. version of yeah. Oh boy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but no, I think yeah, good good good, good job. There we go. And that wraps up another edition of Greenlight Rewrite Just Shy, and wraps up the episode of listener feedback as well. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, you can. We are sequelizers on all the social medias on Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, all that good stuff. You can go to sequelizers.com for links to the Discord, links to the Patreon, links to our shop, links to our individual Twitters, and all that good stuff as well. It's a it's a hub of information for the sequelizers. If you want to follow me individually, I am JLW Chambers on all the social medias. Matt, how can people follow you? No, you had your chance. It was this episode. You don't get just to email me some questions or Google search me well, some I'm questions. Not asking, I'm not asking you to give them your email address. <laughs> you don't have to know my fucking national insurance number. How dare you? <laughs> All right. It's uh, J something or other. Um, me too. Probably. It's because of our age. Yeah. Anyway. Um, We're old. I'm young. Don't, don't say that. <laughs> no, we're with an catchment. Catchment. 
catchment, sir. Mm. Stogs, S-T-O-G-H-Z. You can go to the various social medias and find me there. You can go to theredrighthand.co.uk. And again, there might be some reviews there. I haven't really written any because, you know, pandemic. And cheesemint.com where I have so many things lined up. I can't do anything with them because pandemic. Um, so yeah, what about you, Tim? If I had to ask you some questions and I couldn't get a hold of you on a survey or a you know a Discord and things, where would I go, Tim? Uh, you'd go to Twitter. You'd find me at trivia underscore lad. It's my primary internet presence, but also consists mostly of me at the moment laughing at jokes about uh, the big ship that's stuck in the Suez Canal, which is <laughs> just wonderful. I saw someone recently say. It must be. So, it's going to be so difficult for the first ship that goes through, the captain knowing that he has the chance to do the most hilarious thing that's ever happened, and just jackknife his his ship and just be like, "Oh no, another one's got stuck." Whoopsie uh, Daisy. But uh, yeah, oh that's Can that's me imagine? on Twitter. Uh, follow me for japes and fun times. Well, thank you very much, listeners, for listening, for submitting your questions, for completing the survey, and. Just in general, supporting us. Yeah, thank, thank you ever so much. This show would not exist without you in so many ways. And we really appreciate you, uh, people who listen, people who recommend us to friends or, or give us reviews on, on iTunes or more modern streaming platforms. Google podcasts <laughs> and Spotify and all that kind of stuff. I'm old school. I still have iTunes. Big thank you to everyone who listens and for your support and your patronage. Absolutely. We'll be back next week with more interseason goodness. Until then, see you later. Yeah.